Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we are going to preview every single Week 13 matchup. Great day to be great, as always. And as always, I am joined by none other than PFF's own Dwayne, The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's Tuesday. This is where we talk for like two, two and a half hours together. How are you? I'm good, man. I just hope my vocal cords can like hang in there for whatever reason. Like I kind of have a scratchy voice today. But you know what? It's, it's a great day to be great, Ian. 50%. Of my high stakes teams have made it through, and in a year like this, I will absolutely take that. Whenever you're playing against like some of these really good uh, in these competitive leagues, I mean, look, if you can be over 33%, it's good. So I'm, I'm not, I, I'd like to be at like 60%, but man, I'm excited. It gets me juice. Like this is why I do this because I love fantasy football. So I just, I just crack up to him because you know I'm, I think about 14 leagues. I'm, I, I also counted last night. I got seven. Playoff spots pretty much locked up. You know, a lot of leagues against some great writers in the industry. I'm very happy with how I perform. But my one home league with my eight close, <laughs> dear, best friends from college that I care more than anything about, I cannot even sniff a win more weeks than not. So I'm just a yeah, Let's not fraud. talk about those leagues. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have one of those too. I have one that's a dynasty league. Um, I don't even know if my team has won a game. Like it, it won multiple championships and like now everything's gone. It's all gone. So I'm just trying to get better Pixie, and that's how I. That's what I tell myself. Next year, I'm going to do the only draft good players that don't get hurt strategy. Not sure why I strayed away from it this year, but you know what, Dwayne? Yeah, I don't know well, why uh, you don't just do that. I, 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 I like. I'm surprised you still have a job in this industry because I mean, you don't do that. Watch the film. <laughs> get better. <laughs> As always, uh, in this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, every game I'm going to take the away team. Dwayne's going to take the home team. We talk about almost every fantasy relevant player. We're going to try to focus more so on one or two key topics, because otherwise we could probably double the length of this podcast. So, without further ado, let's get started with Thursday Night Football. Cowboys at the Saints. Cowboys sitting as four point favorites. Game total at forty seven and a half. I think if he can get some healthy receivers out there, we can see Dak just go the hell off this game. I know it's kind of been a little bit more hit or miss with him in recent weeks, but Tyron Smith is back and healthy, and C.D. Lamb was practicing in full on Monday and should be back. After that, we do need to continue to monitor this injury report. Cedric Wilson hasn't practiced all week with an ankle injury, and Amari Cooper, this thing is weird. I think he's negative with COVID because they allowed him to be back in the building, but they're also saying that he still has a cough. He's not feeling 100% yet. So continue to monitor Cooper. He is not guaranteed to suit up. If he does not suit up, we're going to get C.D. Lamb versus Marshawn Lattimore in shadow coverage. We might get it anyway, regardless of Cooper's out there, but this should be a fun one. Look, we say this all the time, which tough shadow matchups, tough cornerback matchups, use them as a tiebreaker, not a rule of thumb. CeeDee Lamb should be starting in 100 out of 100 lineups if you happen to have that many fantasy teams. That would be pretty freaking crazy, but story for another day. Just realize this should be a good matchup. I'm excited to watch it. We have seen Lattimore, you know, got shown up a little bit on Thanksgiving. Diggs had that awesome route in man-on-man coverage. We saw Metcalf beat him, Evans beat him. He does make the receiver work a little bit harder for the yards, so just keep an eye on that, but CD locked in as a top 10 wide receiver. Cooper will be an upside wide receiver too, if active. And with Dak, though, the reason why I think he could be crushing in this matchup, as long as he has some guys to throw it to, 
is because how good he's been when defenses haven't been able to force the issue, make him get rid of that ball quick. When throwing in two and a half or more seconds, Dak is second in PFF passing grade and QB rating alike. It's funny to me, Dwayne, when I'll send a stat out there like uh, with Josh Allen, I was showing his PFF passing grade by week and some of the roller coaster and people were just like, oh, like good thing PFF grades don't mean shit. It's like a lot of times you can take yards per attempt, QB rating, adjusted completion rate, all the normal stats that you want to use and they're usually telling the same story. So as always, one stat doesn't tell the whole story. That's why we like to use more of them. Just realize that as we're going through some of these grades. Anyway, so good when, he, when he's not being pressured. And the Saints this year, in terms of quick pressure rate, which is getting to the quarterback in two and a half or fewer seconds, they are the third worst defense in the league in that metric. So if they can't get to Dak, could be a long afternoon. We should be seeing Zeke out there as well. I know there was some talk about the Cowboys potentially shutting him down, but we had Jerry Jones uh, clarify that Zeke will be getting a full load. You hear that, everyone? A full load. Zeke's getting one this Thursday night. He has been practicing full all week. We're expecting him to be good to go. He's still a rock-solid RB2, even with Pollard, you know, getting in there a little bit uh, more often than I think managers would prefer. It is the difference between Zeke being like a true top five, top eight option and a top 12, top 15 guy. Just realize you're starting him in fancy lamps of all shapes and sizes either way. Tony Pollard continues to be more of an RB3 or flex type with league winning upside of Zeke ever does miss time. Now, Dwayne, on the Saints, we got a report from Ian Rappaport saying that Taysom Hill will be under center. It sounds like that's the plan, but Sean Payton did say they want to see how his foot responds tomorrow before actually naming the starter. Let's go ahead and assume that Taysom Hill will be under center for the first time all year. It's great for Taysom. Rest of the team, maybe we got to worry about a little bit. Yeah. I've got Taysom at QB 12 right now. I am assuming that he's going to play. So I've got him just one spot above Derek Carr, one one spot um, below Justin Herbert. We've got a nice game total, 47.5. Um, you know, he's going to – he'll be probably somewhere around 25%, you know, of the team's design rushing attempts. Assuming, you know, there's not something with his foot, foot that would make, him, make them limit him in that way. But I think if that were the case, they would just go with Trevor Simeon, right? Because I think if you just had to look at it as pure passers, I don't know that Hill gives you much more, maybe less than Trevor Simeon. It's really wanting to have him out there as the dual threat weapon. So assuming he plays, I think he's the top 12 quarterback this week um, You know, against the Cowboys. He could need to really put up some points, so that's a good spot. But to your point, man, it's, it makes me, you know, we've seen with Kamara, you know, in the past, you know, last year, you did have one blow up game in the passing game with Taysom Hill, but the other three games, Kamara was non-existent. And so we'll have to see. We've also, we also are not for sure if Kamara is going to play this, this week or not. Um, right now, I'm assuming that he is, Ian. I've got him at running back 10 on the week. Um, he's got a 7.5 running back strength of schedule, which is going to be top six or seven this week on the slate. Um, Dallas is kind of stingy, you know, against running backs 21.4, but a lot of that's because of the leads that Dallas built early in the season and some of the matchups they had. It's not so much that they can stop the other team. In fact, like the one thing that worries me the most as a Cowboys fan and is any time you play against a team, they can run up the middle. Uh, and not that that's necessarily the Saints' strengths, but they can certainly do it. Any team that has decided they just are going to run the ball against Dallas has pretty much been able to do it as long as, you know, the script hasn't got out of hand. It's also going to be interesting, Ian, you know, just to see what happens with Mark Ingram because I think he has played well enough 
that he's going to continue to have a role. I think when Kamara comes, you know, Kamara and Ingram are back and you got Taysom Hill, you potentially have a three-way committee here as far as the ground game goes. So I look at Kamara as a low-end RB1 the rest of the way. You know, he was a mid-range RB1. Um, Look at Mark Ingram as really like a high-end RB3, assuming that he's healthy. Um, So he'll be in my fifth tier this week. He'll be outside the top 24. He'll, He'll be somewhere around... You know, 32, 33, 34, somewhere in there is where I'll have Ingram if he's going to play. And then as far as the receivers go for um, the Saints, um, there's nothing really great. But Traquan really is the number one at this point. So if you're in an absolute pinch, you know, Traquan won't make my top 36 this week. It's probably going to be like more at the bottom of tier four, maybe just outside of it. But that's really what I would consider more of a boom bust tier four player. Um, with Taysom Hill back under center, probably looking a little bit more like what we saw with Jameis Winston. I think a more conservative offense, less passing. Um, and of course, the Saints, that's what they hope for. They want to keep it in. They want to keep the games close or they want to be leading and just trying to win it at the end. They don't want to necessarily be in these big shootouts. So I think that's something that we can look for with the Saints passing offense. We just really probably want to avoid all of the passing weapons. And it's just going to be a focus on Taysom Hill and these backs the rest of the way. It's a great point about Ingram potentially being more involved than we're anticipating because in those Hill starts last year, a lot of us just focus on the targets for Kamara. But actually, I mean, Taysom had 39 rush attempts. Latavius Murray had 40, and then Kamara only had 50. So if we're going to see that sort of split, yeah, we're, we're starting Kamara in every single lineup. But yeah, that is the difference between him being potential top five, top six back, more of a low-end RB1 where I have him as well. Colts at the Texans. AFC South battle. Indy sitting as eight and a half point favorites. Game total at 45 and a half. Jonathan Taylor, three career matchups against the Texans. He has 43 carries, 319 rushing yards, good for 7.4 yards per carry. Three touchdowns to go along with eight catches, 69 yards, and a score. McCaffrey's done for the year. Dalvin's done for a couple weeks. Derrick Henry's still on IR. Jonathan Taylor is your overall fantasy football RB1. Great day to be great. Let's talk about this passing game, though, because Carson Wentz, we saw it last week with the Ashton Doolin deep ball. He's been showing off that right arm when he gets time this year, only Matthew Stafford actually has more completions on balls thrown at least 40 yards downfield than Carson Wentz. And you look at this Texans defense, they are dead last in yards per attempt allowed on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield this season. Look no further than the first time they faced off when Carson was hitting Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton deep downfield against his squad. So, T.Y. Hilton, we cannot forget people. He owns the Texans. This man wore a clown mask before a playoff game against them and then proceeded the ball out and go ahead and get that W. So if you want to follow the clown mask storyline, throw T.Y. in there as, you know, a boomer bust wide receiver four. I'm not going to be the one to tell you that's a bad idea, but we just need to know Michael Pittman remains the alpha number one in Indy. I know he's had a couple down weeks, but we saw the targets get back up there last week. Seems like a matter of, you know, when, not if he is going to boom again. So Michael Pittman, I will be dropping him probably outside the top 20 still gonna try to keep him in that top 24 though i just hope we get the volume for it because we have seen games where wentz is only throwing the ball 20 25 times and yeah i don't exactly expect the texans to force the issue in this one so obviously we always love jt uh, i do think wentz and Pittman could make the most out of their opportunities albeit they might not have as many as we would love and yes please for the love of god do not chase jack doyle's big week 12 performance they continue to rotate him mo Alley Cox and even Kylan Grayson. I believe that's it. Uh, week in and week out. Dwayne, on to the Texans where 
We do have a two RB backfield for now. But other than that, it's, you know, Brandon Cooks, maybe you're streaming Tyrod, and that's about it. I would like to protest <clears throat> that it's only home games. I think any time that, like, if a team like the Tex- Texans has two home games in a row, Ian, we should, like, have to trade. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. So, um, yeah, I'm going to basically <laughs> save my breath on this. It's a uh, tier five running backs with David Johnson and, and Rex Burkhead. And just to kind of give that some context, basically that's that's your like mid to low end RB3. Basically, if you just are hoping to plug something in that might give you seven to 10 points, you don't care what its name is. You just want that thing <laughs> that you put into your lineup to not give you a zero. I think you can trust David Johnson or Rex Burkhead to do that for you this week. You're not going to have a lot of upside. It's not a good matchup um, against the Colts run defense. 21.5 um, points given up PPR per game to opposing running backs. That's one of the worst in the league. Um, looks bad as far as all the PFF metrics go as well. 4.2 out of 10 on the running back strength schedule. A minus 34 in the offensive line run blocking advantage. That's more like a run blocking disadvantage. So you probably don't want to really use either one of those guys unless you absolutely have to. And I know there are a lot of running back injuries, so you may have to. So hopefully you can, hopefully you're really stacked at your other positions if that's happening. Brandon Cooks is Brandon Cooks, top 24 receiver this year. I've got him at 24 this week. Not really a great matchup. Um, the last couple of weeks, he hasn't had quite as many targets, but it's just one of those things. 15% and 20%. It's not, There's not really anybody else to take his place. Like He is the number one in the pecking order. His targets on the season, 28%. Targets per route run, 24%. So if you got Brandon Cooks, again, not a ton of upside, you know, just because it is, you know, the Houston offense, but he could easily go off. He could catch, you know, eight balls, 100 yards, get you a touchdown. You know, any given week, he's out there. Um, so that's it. Yeah, and I would say those targets could be down because we saw that went over to Titans where they were actually able to play with a lead and win the game. Then they faced the Jets, only lost by seven. It didn't have to get too far out of their comfort zone. Here's to hoping more targets for Mr. Cooks in week 13. Moving on, NFC North Showdown. Vikings at the Lions. Vikings are seven-point favorites. Game total at 46 and a half. Let's let Kirk cook because Dalvin Cook will be missing at least this game, likely to, depending on which reporter you're following, you know, it looks like week 15 might be the estimated get back spot. Of course, Mike Zimmer says that, you know, he's considering him day to day and he could, he's not ruling him out yet for this week. But I mean, Dwayne, have you seen Mike Zimmer's, that model girlfriend he's with? Like, I don't even blame Mike Zimmer at this point for not paying attention to his own injured <laughs> players. I don't know how that dude has time for anything in football as land. As, yeah, as long as Mike Zimmer doesn't cut his eye, like, with his play sheet again like you know i think he's doing good that was like two or three years ago and now he has to wear those glasses all the time felt bad for him that was um, so ridiculous well it's clearly not hurting the uh tinder game for him so whatever mike but <laughs> if we do see kirk cousins get to cook a little bit more uh without dalvin cook in the picture i mean this is the matchup that we would dream about lions are 31st in yards per attempt allowed 31st also an explosive pass play rate allowed so justin jefferson he's the wide receiver six in ppr points per game this year adam thielen is the wide receiver nine because he does not give a single fuck about your touchdown regression narratives 24 touchdowns in his last 26 games for adam thielen again 24 for 26 that is absolutely bonkers nobody seems to be a bigger threat of scoring two touchdowns on a week-to-week basis then mr thielen get both those wide receivers and fancy lineups of all shapes and sizes as we have done all year and then with alexander madison you guys know we're starting him but it's i think like the level of confidence that we have in him that is truly a sight to be sold right now i think only jonathan taylor and probably austin eckler 
definitively deserve to be ranked higher than Madison. I'm not saying you need to have Madison RB3. You can have him RB5, RB6, but like that's how high his ceiling is with Cook out because they more or less treat him like Dalvin Cook. He has had four starts over the past two seasons in those games. He busted. More on that in a second. In the last three, he had 24, 32, and 32 total touches. He's being used as a receiver and a rusher. In those games, he ripped off RB4, RB7, and RB6 finishes. The one time he busted, which was week six last year, and it really pissed off everyone that was relying on him without Dalvin, that was because they got down three scores in the third quarter, and Amir Abdullah came in to take away all the negative game script comeback mode snaps. Amir Abdullah is now in Carolina, which is why on the waiver wire edition of this podcast, we cautioned everyone with going too heavily in with Chuba Hubbard because his role has changed. So now Madison doesn't have to deal with Amir Abdullah. We do have, you know, the greatest Vikings kick returner since a young Cordero Patterson uh, involved as the potential RB2 now, but it is looking like Madison is going to have 80, 90% snap roll workhorse RB1 season for a Matt. Now, Dwayne, with the Lions, you know, you got Texans and Lions, just a really good uh, setup for here, setup for you here with these last uh, two squads. But there's looking like there's going to be no DeAndre Swift. Dan Campbell said with that shoulder strain, he wouldn't imagine he'll be out there this week, which means Jamal Williams is another three down back now throwing his hat into the ring. Yeah. So Jamal Williams, I have at RB13 on the week. It's a pretty solid matchup against um, Minnesota, 23.8 points given up per game to opposing fantasy running backs in a PPR format. Um, but the bigger thing is like just the projected workload, right? For Jamal Williams, we're probably going to see somewhere between 15 and 20 rushing attempts. He's going to get all of them. If they can somehow keep the game close, it'll actually be more than that. We don't see Detroit keep the game close very often, though they're at bottom three as far as trailing scripts go, which is losing by four or more points. Um, but he's going to get all the work. And we already know he's a good passing down back. He did that. He had that job partially whenever he was in Green Bay and it used to drive us all crazy with Aaron Jones. And so we know that he is not the explosive playmaker that Swift is as far as breaking the long plays, but he's honestly, he might be the more steady back of the two, yeah. Ian, just as far as he's gonna get you positive yards pretty much on every play. And he's a full effort guy, you know, like he's gonna be excited about this opportunity and so I like him, uh, 7.4 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. So that's going to be in the top 10 for the week. Offensive line run blocking advantage of 53. That's going to be in the top 10 for the week. So it's actually a really good spot right now for uh, Jamal Williams, just with all the injuries that Minnesota has had on the defensive side of the ball. Um, not going to mention the quarterback, obviously, but as far as the receivers go, Josh Reynolds, I know we talked about him briefly, you know, on the waiver wire pod, um, you know, that came out yesterday, but I'm... You know, I, I, I can't make him a complete fade. I'm not going to move him like into my top even 48. But is a punt play, like if you're absolutely desperate, you know, his routes over the last two weeks, 96% and 85%. Targets per route run, 14%, 23%. Targets, 14%, 20%. 29% of the third and fourth down targets last week. So Goff was looking his way, which is pretty rare because he doesn't seem to ever want to look at a receiver. He only wants to look inside or underneath. Um, so with Reynolds, you know, it, he's somebody that if you're in a super deep format and you just got to have somebody to plug in, like fine, you can get him out there. Um, he'll probably, I'm just looking right now, he'll probably end up like somewhere around like 48, you know, in my rank. So at the bottom end of the wide receiver four tier. Um, and then as far as tight ends, you guys know, TJ Hawkinson, you know, still out there plenty, getting plenty of routes. It's, it's not a good matchup this week, though. Only 8.2 points given up per game um, by the Vikings to opposing tight ends. 
And on our tight end strength of schedule metric, it's a zero out of 10. Zero being very bad. And the tight end matchup itself is a minus one. Um, so it's it's going to be tough sledding for TJ Hawkinson. He's also the centerpiece that the other team's going to probably focus on in the passing game. But he's still going to be in my top 10 tight ends just due to volume alone. I just don't expect really huge efficiency from Hawkinson this weekend. Yeah, fresh off holding George Kittle. Just one catch, 13 yards. Only had two targets, so it could be a volume thing, yeah. but still need to keep an eye on that. And yeah, with Jamal Williams, it's just a volume play. Everyone, our PFF projections have only four running backs projected for more touches than him this week. Najee Harris, Elijah Mitchell, Jonathan Taylor, and Alexander Madison. Moving on. We got the Giants at the Dolphins. Miami sitting as three-point favorites. Game total at 41 and a half. I know Saquon has let us down these last two weeks back from injury. The good news is all of his usage last week was back to normal, and his normal is higher than almost anyone else in the league. 86% snaps, 13 carries, 5 targets. Those running backs I just listed with the touches from our projections, those are the only guys ahead of Saquon Barkley who is projected to see 21 and a half touches this week. So, no, we're not ranking Saquon as a top five, top six back at the moment, but just like Jamal and some of these other guys we've already talked about, you could be really hard-pressed to not start Saquon Barkley because any running back expected to see 20-plus carries and targets, that's just going to be an impossible person to fade more weeks than not unless your team is incredibly blessed. And we did at least see Saquon on a 32-yard run against the Eagles start to show some of that burst that obviously is, you know, a staple of vintage Saquon as we've seen over the years. So I know Giants offense is a train wreck, but at least they are getting Saquon involved enough, particularly as a receiver, where even over these last two weeks where he's busted, he still turned into top 30 finishes. I know we didn't draft him to be a freaking RB3, but it's nice when that is at least our worst-case scenario floor for the guy. After that, try to avoid this team at all costs. Miami is playing some great ball and I think they might have the sort of defense to cause all sorts of problems for Daniel Jones. They are first in overall pressure rate. This is one of the funny, funnier stats I've come across. Dolphins Defense is first in pressure rate, and their offense is dead last. Like, Tua must just be getting the shit kicked out of him every single practice uh, the way that's going. But they're also second, the defense, that is, uh, in quick pressure rate. So this is not even, like, you know, a flaw of quarterbacks maybe running around against them or anything like that. An anomaly, if you will. They are that good, in large part because of how much they blitz. Nobody has more total snaps of on blitzes this year. And Daniel Jones has been horrendous against the blitz. 36th in QB rate. 33rd in PFF passing grade, 28th in yards per attempt when blitzed this season. All pretty shitty. So Daniel Jones, you know, early on in the year, he was running more. We had this nice, decent, uh, you know, sample size of him actually turning in QB1 performances. He's only had one week better than the QB16 though since week 4, and even in that game, he was the QB13. So, right now, we only got Kenny Galladay out there. Dwayne, you mentioned um, on our review pod just the struggles he's kind of had getting open against press man coverage all season long. He's going to see that with Byron Jones probably in his hip pocket, who is one of the fewest, few cornerbacks who I think is big enough and physical enough to actually cause some legit problems for Galladay as it is. I mean, if he couldn't go win jump balls against Darius Slay, who's great, but just not quite the same uh, caliber, I think, uh, physical type corner as Byron Jones, he's going to have even more problems this week. And that's assuming that neither Sterling Shepard or Kadarius Tony come back from their respective quad injuries. So if they're back, they're all wide receiver threes, I think. You know, if, if they're all healthy, then they're going to be lower. You know, it's like the anti-Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. Like, we're not going to want to play any of these guys if they're all healthy, but they are still three 
theoretically good enough where we're not going to be able to shoot him too far uh, down the ranks. So we'll see what happens there. And yeah, with Evan Ingram, I mean, he couldn't get it done last week. I guess if everyone's hurt again, we're going to be talking ourselves into him as a cheap DFS play. But truly, just try to find better options than what is going on in the New York Giants passing game at the moment. We did not get the uh, post-clapper bump we were hoping for. Turns out Freddie Kitchens might not be the uh, you know best play caller an NFL team could be employing these days either. Dwayne, with the Dolphins, we don't have these problems. We actually have one certain receiver getting fed all the targets and a running back getting fed all the volume, too. Although we did see last week, Philip Lindsay start to rear his head into this committee. Yeah, and I'll start there um, on Miles Gaskin. So the good news for Gaskin is just after I went back and I was able to break it down further, when you look at Lindsay, you know, he did handle 32% of the rushing attempts, but 10 of his 12 carries um, came in the third and fourth quarters. So in the ha in the first half of the game, he was really a non-factor. And this is a game where Miami was basically, the game was almost over by halftime. So I don't think it's a situation where we're gonna really see Gaskin, you know, regress back to where he was before. Like if you just looked at his raw numbers over the last few weeks, it looks like they're going, it would look like, you know, this is really a big dip for him. But I think it was really just more to do with the game script. Um, now I'm, look, I, I will say this because like this is the, well, there's two or three coaching staffs that are like impossible to figure out. So as soon as I say this, like they really will, like they'll just give everything to Philip Lindsay. So Brown, Brown um, could be back this week too. Yeah. And so, and Malcolm Brown though, like at this point, I don't think he's going to be an issue. I think he takes back over the Patrick Laird stuff, but I think Gaskin has played well enough. And, and again, who knows with this coaching staff, but I've got Miles Gaskin at running back 14 this week. He's got a great matchup. Um, strength of schedule is a 9.7 out of a 10. That's number two um, on the slate. 27.9 um, points given up to opposing running backs by the Giants. And Gaskin will be, he'll be active, you know, on the early downs in the passing game. He's still not getting that two-minute offense or the long down and distance. So the one thing that could eventually derail Miles Gaskin, which would be the thing we would never think would derail Miles Gaskin when the season started. You think he's a passing down back, right? No, wrong. Not in the Dolphins world. In the Dolphins world, he's an early down back, Ian. And if they ever get into a situation where they're getting blown out, it's going to be problematic for Miles Gaskin. So he could, he could be game script dependent. Um, in a way that we wouldn't have thought of when the season first started. But I think he's in good shape as far as, um, you know, Lindsey and Brown coming back. I think he'll still continue to be the lead back. We'll obviously keep an eye on it, and we'll talk about it in our post-game, you know, wrap-up on Monday. But Jalen Waddle, yeah, you just mentioned, man, like this guy, Ian, like is just like on a major role, was the wide receiver one overall in all of fantasy land this last week, was number 11 the week before. He's top 10 in the season. Now that Ooh. is the Dolphins, you know, I mean, they've played all these games, so they still haven't had their bye week. So you got to count that in. But even whenever you look at it from a standpoint, you know, of, um, you know, his top six, 20, his top six, his, sorry, his top 24 finishes, he has six out of 12. So 50% of the time, like he's getting into the top 24 target shares over the last five games, 28%, 26%, 19%, 28%, 32%. Like he is in the elite of all elite company. And now we're starting to see the Jets. You know, we're starting to see some of the big plays. And so we're in a situation where he's probably going to see, I mean, he's going to be the lead target again this weekend. You know, the Giants don't run a lot of man coverage. They run a lot of cover for uh, quarters, that kind of stuff. Um, so all, all that room underneath is going to be there for him and Tua to operate. And I think, you know, the other thing that we, and we've talked about it before, but a lot of people don't realize about the Dolphins is no matter what the game script is, they like to keep throwing the ball. They built this off offense to throw the ball in the offseason. 
it hasn't necessarily worked out as far as everybody staying healthy, but they've kind of they've stuck with that formula. Um, when they're trailing by four or more points, they throw the ball nine percent more than the rest of the NFL teams within three points. So in a close game script, they're plus seven percent. And when they're leading by four or more, they throw the ball four percent more than the NFL average. So it doesn't really matter what the game script is. Jalen Waddle's going to be in good shape. Mike Gusecki, I know. Everybody's cringing. They hear me say Mike Gusecki, and they're all like, if Dwayne says one more thing about Mike Gusecki's <laughs> utilization still being there, I'm going to, you know, come to his house in the Girl Scout cookie costume that whoa, he had whoa, talked whoa, about whoa. with the gun. <laughs> no. Yeah. So that no, Dwayne, we got so far without bringing up a gun in this episode. No, I know, but I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I know what's going to happen. So, no. But with Gusecki, look – it is what it is. Like the, the utilization is elite and I can't change history. I can't go back and, and erase history of all the, the tight ends that have had this sort of utilization and been, you know, top six, top eight tight end, typically top three, top four. Now we've got several guys not doing it this year. Go figure. Um, but Gesicki, you know, he's out there all the time. And if you think about it, Ian, like who else are you going to throw the ball to besides Jalen Waddle? Like if you got to choose on the Dolphins. It's still Mike Gusecki. Like, he's still the next best target. So, I think he's in a good spot. Um, if you look at his matchup, it's positive. It's a 6 out of 10. It's not elite, but 12.6 points per game given up by the Giants to opposing tight ends. Nothing you're really afraid of. So, I think the only thing you know you don't like about this game is it's low implied points, low total, all those things. But utilization, all those things are there. You know, look, there was a run in the middle of the season where Gesicki was, you know, posting these top five finishes and everybody loved him. Guess what? Nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is they've just gone more to Waddle. And, and remember, like these things ebb and flow. Defenses are putting on the tape, and now they're seeing all the Waddle. We could we could easily see Mike Gusecki be the guy to lead the team over the next two to three weeks in fantasy points instead of Waddle, just because everybody's focusing more you know, on the rookie after what he's done over the last couple of games. I have loved all the Jalen Waddle. 50% of the time, he works every time. He's still the wide <laughs> receiver, 17 in PPR points per game. Wide receiver, one, if you go ahead and take the totals. NFC South matchup. We got the Buccaneers at the Falcons. Tampa sitting as an 11-point favorite. Game total at 50.5. That is tied with Bengals Chargers for the highest of the week. Tom Brady absolutely owns this defense. They faced off three times so far. Week 15 and week 17 last year, he threw for 390 yards and two scores, then 399 yards and four scores. QB 11 and QB 2 performances. Earlier this year in week 2, 276 yards, five touchdowns, QB 3 on the week. Shout out to A.J. Terrell, PFF's third highest graded player at his position this season, but come on. Tom Brady, all these receivers, even Rob Gronkowski, you should be starting them even if there's a fire in your fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Antonio Brown is the wide receiver five in PPR points per game this year. We are expecting him to be back and healthy. The timeline for his ankle injury was six weeks, and it's now been six weeks, so hoping to see him look as good as he did before the injury, because, I mean, you saw that Dolphins game where he was just roasting Xavier Howard. He looked like, you know, honestly, the guy we saw in Pittsburgh for the majority of the past decade as opposed to the still good but not you know truly like people the pace that AB was putting up in the mid two in the mid 2010s was like Jerry Rice level like he was on pace to be his generation's Jerry Rice that's how bonkers some of the numbers were I get it things have fallen off but all I'm trying to say the guy we saw in the first five six of the year looked far more like the game changer we saw for the better part of the last decade as opposed to the guy we saw in his first year with Tampa Bay 
So AB, Goblin, Evans, we're, it's going to be tough to squeeze them like in the top 10, even though they probably are at least, you know, some of those guys on their best day, true real life top 10 receivers, only one ball to go around those. So all upside wide receiver twos that again, you should be starting all day, every day. And with Gronk, man, it's wild because we've only seen him four games where he hasn't been hurt and he's turned in tight end one, tight end three, tight end nine in his first game back. And then last week, tight end two performances. So I think we did see uh, without having a B there you know Gronk benefiting from some of the additional targets I mean last week Brady really only felt comfortable seemingly throwing the Gronk and Leonard Fournette I expect that to get back you know fix itself a little bit to Goblin and Evans but either way Rob Gronkowski is you know upside tight end one at this point you can rank him fourth you can rank him sixth eighth whatever you should be starting him again in the heavy majority of lineups same with Leonard Fournette I was still getting some start sick questions with Leonard Fournette last Sunday stop that everyone he is locked into that rb1 spot if you want to try to light a fire and move him into the flex that's one thing but do not even consider putting him on that bench because of the fantasy friendly role i mean the pass game volume here is like one of the most inexplicable things we've seen i think all season so far in 2021 deandre swift Najee harris and austin eckler are the only other running backs with leonard fournette to catch at least 50 passes already he is only the you know only the RB10 in PPR points per game this year. He's the RB4 in expected PPR points per game. They are truly giving the artist known as Lombardi Lenny one of the most fantasy-friendly roles in football, and it's been accentuated all that much more inside the league's top-ranked scoring offense. So, yeah, a lot of words to say. Start every single Tampa Bay Buccaneer if you have them, essentially. Dwayne, that's not quite uh, the case, you know, in Atlanta. We got our guy Cordero Patterson, but after that, man, it's just been rough more weeks than not for everyone else involved. Yeah, man, and with Patterson, you know, like this is like, I feel like I'm doing like the, the Ian impersonation here. Like these <laughs> stats I'm about to throw at you, Ian. I hope you're prepared. Um, we'll, we'll do the Dwayne stuff first. Like his, um, as far as utilization, over 50% of the snaps each of the last three games when he's been healthy, they've clearly just made the move to Patterson. And Mike Davis, like nothing personal, but like, have you ever seen more empty snaps? Like, it's like he's out there, but you would never know it. Like Mike Davis is playing football, but there's no trace of Mike Davis other than the fact that you see that he actually had a snap. Um, but Cordero Patterson, man, over 50%. Um, I mean, if you just look at him, Ian, you know, he ranks second in explosive runs per play. So that's 10 plus yards by running backs with at least 75 attempts. That's 17% of his carries go for 10 or more yards. That's nuts. And he ranks first in yards per route run for receivers with a minimum of 150 routes at 3.13. So you have the second most explosive running back only behind Nick Chubb in the NFL. And you have the number one yards per route run receiver in one player. Like that's insane. That's really, and it is in his 30 year old season. Like congratulations to you, the head of the Cordero Patterson fan club. I. If you want to take a quick bow, if we should applaud, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm excited for you, Ian. So, yeah, Patterson, I've got at number 11 this week. Um, it's the running back. Strength of schedule is not great. Obviously, we know it's the box. 22.7 points per game to opposing um, running backs. I don't care because of what we just talked about with Correll Patterson, what he can do as a receiver. They can move him all over. And Arthur Smith has is, you know, maybe he should get coach of the year just because he's the guy that finally figured out how <laughs> just to unlock for CPAT. <laughs> Patterson. Seriously, I mean, how many coaches have had a chance and they couldn't do it? 
and he has. So I mean, that is he's got something going for him there. Um, I know he. I know he's wanting more than that. And I do think the Falcons have a good head coach for the future. They've just got a this not a great year this season. We get it. Russell Gage, though. Um, you know, I know we talked about him briefly on our waiver pod yesterday, and after I had a chance to dig into him more, Ian, like man, I really was impressed with what I found. I hadn't had a chance to do to do my deep dive yet. So I actually um, updated him in the utilization report, and I told folks to put 20 to 30% of their fab on him just because we don't know if Ridley's going to be back. But here's like what I found. And you talked about there is volatility, just to be – to, to be clear, wide receiver 15, wide receiver 121, <laughs> wide receiver 20, wide receiver 111. Those are goose eggs. Like, those are they pure are. zero zeros. They are, but wide receiver 33, then wide receiver 14. So if the positive is four out of the last six games, he's been inside, you know, the top 36 receivers, and he's actually got three of those games inside the top 20. Um, and with Gage, we do have a track record of him in the past actually being someone that caught our attention, you know, from a targets per route run standpoint, you know, he's been solid. Um, and then I dug into really what he's been able to do against man coverage. And so if you look at him, um, you know, well, number one, his routes are, 80, are over 80% of the passing plays each of the last, or three of the last four games. He's at a season long tar- uh, targets per route is now at 19%, which is good. Like once you start getting up into the, you know, high to the mid twenties, low twenties, like you're starting to get into the positive territory territory we want to be in. But like last week against single man coverage, 100% of his opportunities, he was open. He was targeted 50% of the time he faced single man and he's getting open. A, he's on the season in now he's got a smaller sample size because he was hurt early in the season, but on the season, 60% of the time he's faced single man coverage, he has gotten open. And Matt Ryan trusts no one on the team more than him when he sees him in single man, 28% targets per route run versus single man coverage. So those are, I mean, those are positive things because we know that man coverage is the most sticky thing that we can look at, right? Um, Single coverage, particularly man coverage is the thing that we know is, you know, repeatable over time. So I'm, I feel good about Russell Gage. I've got him at wide receiver 35 this week. The matchup is not great. 35.5 points to opposing fantasy wide receivers, which is around average. That's like the league average. I mean, so it's not terrible either. Wide receiver strength of schedule is a little bit tougher, but I think we've kind of had um, the Bucks a little bit overrated over the last few weeks, you know, so the way some of the tools work. Um, so I'm really not that scared about it. So I do have him in the top 36. If, if Atlanta's going to have any chance, they're obviously going to have to throw the ball they're going to have to get the ball to multiple different playmakers. Kyle Pitts, um, should we just rewind the tape and play the Mike Gusecki thing? Like, <laughs> the utilization, <laughs> it's all there. Basically. Look, here's the thing with Pitts. Like, he's just, it's just not clicking right now. And you've talked about it. The catchable ball rate is 67%, 10% below the league average. Um, 33% last week, catchable ball rate. You heard me talk about it multiple times. Move him inside. Stop throwing him jump balls. Contested ball rate, 9% above the league average. The league average is 20%. He's at 29%. So they need to design better looks for Kyle Pitts. Now, some of this is on him, right? He's got to be able to get open. He's got to be able to do his part. Um, you know, and Ryan is willing to continue to try to pepper him with enough targets that he can be a viable option. We just haven't seen it all come together yet. Having said all that, he'll still be in my top t- my top ten tight ends this week. Kind of like what we talked about on the show yesterday. Um, I have moved him out. He's not just an automatic top six every week, despite the fact that he's having this really great utilization. He's just that he's that mid range. He could be more to the low end each week. Um, the matchup this week is not great, um, but it's also not terrible. It's nothing that's scaring me off. So I'll probably have him around tight end six or seven this week.
glitched on me just for a second there, Dwayne, but that is all good. With uh, Russell Gage, uh, it, it's a good point looking more at his box scores. Two of the duds against the Panthers and the Cowboys. I mean, those were two of Matt Ryan's three worst games of the year. Nobody was putting up numbers in those games, and that happens to receivers. They can't have some bad ones. Dwayne, the one stat you were missing is, let's get this guy involved as a quarterback because Russell Gage <laughs> is PFF's reigning top-graded passer from last year. Just call a trick play for once, Arthur Smith. It wouldn't kill you. you. You've unlocked Cordero Patterson. Maybe Russell Gage gets going a little bit here moving forward. But we got more to talk about. Eagles at the Jets. Philly sitting as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Game total at 45-and-a-half. We need to keep an eye on Jalen Hurts' ankle. It didn't sound like Nick Sirianni was the most worried about it, but he is a little bit banged up. Obviously, if we lose some, even a little bit of that mobility, that's going to be problematic because we are seeing – in terms of usage, the closest thing to Lamar Jackson at the quarterback position, really in the history of the NFL. I'm not saying Hurts or even Lamar is better than Michael Vick. No, please, for the love of God, do not quote me on that pure usage because he has now started 16 career games. He has 168 carries in those games. That's second. It would be second all time behind only Lamar Jackson. Third and fourth place, also Lamar Jackson. So 967 yards and 11 touchdowns in those 16 starts. Those are ranked fifth and fourth among all quarterbacks in NFL history. I know it's a new game, but at the same time, that is bonkers. And you can even compare him to running backs right now, and you're going to see a similar story. This year, only Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, James Conner, Nick Chubb, and Ezekiel Elliott have more fantasy points from purely rushing production than Jalen Hurts. So when I see this Jets league-worst defense and fantasy points per game allowed to opposing running backs, I almost take that as more of a positive for Hurts than anyone else because what in the hell is going on in the Philly backfield? I don't know, and that's uh, that's on to you, Dwayne. No, nah, I'm just kidding. We'll uh, <laughs> talk, talk about this a little bit, but Miles Sanders has the ankle issue. Jordan Howard has the knee issue. Nick Sirianni basically lumped them together and said they're both progressing. So there's a nightmare scenario where we have Sanders, Howard, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gamewell all active. I would think Gamewell would be the odd man out and hopefully a healthy scratch, but who knows? They might just go 25% uh, all the way across, more or less. So I think the best case for fantasy would be Sanders and Howard being ruled out. Then we could get behind Boston Scott as a legit RB2 in this great spot. But if they're all going to be active, it's just going to be really hard to squeeze anyone in the top 24, even maybe the top 30 at that point. So Miles Sanders continues to be the guy that will project to have the best game. Game. Just realize that, you know, we've been waiting all year. I believe he only has one top 20 finish here as we get into week 13. In the passing game, it's Devontae Smith. It's Dallas Goddard. You know, rewind everything Dwayne said about Kyle Pitts and Mike Jasicki. Also apply it to uh, Dallas Goddard. Just, he has been running worse than any guy. Like, if you guys listen to our review pods that Dwayne and I do on Sunday night. You know, I go over the sheeshes, the kind of beyond the box score stuff of nullified touchdowns, you know, wide open, but got missed down the field. And the Eagles, Hurts, and Dallas Goddard are just really in this more than any other offense I've kept track of this year. So hopefully gets back on track. He is due. But like Kyle Pitts, we're going to need to bump him down a little bit closer to that tight end one borderline as opposed to the locked-in top six option we were hoping he could be. And yeah, with Devontae, he has the air yard share of like a legit wide receiver one, but unfortunately this offense just trends to being so run heavy that you know we, he has the right percentages but doesn't have the right total raw volume. Six or fewer targets in five straight games and in six of his last seven. So Devontae, he is, you know, 
I would still say upside wide receiver three. You know, he's been playing great over the past few weeks. There's just only so much you can do when you're not getting fed that football with more uh, consistency. So Devontae, Goddard, don't need to start them. Still looking good, though. Jalen Hurts monitor that injury report in this backfield. Same thing with the injuries. And that's why we always come to you on Friday afternoons to break down all the injuries ahead of Sunday. So remember to keep an eye out for those. Dwayne, man, I feel like usually we split up the bad teams, but you're getting most of them uh, today. We got a Jet Squad where we got Elijah Moore. And after that, good freaking luck. Yeah, the running back situation, there's really, it's a mess. You've, you've now got three a three-way committee with Michael Carter out. you got Ty Johnson, Tevin Coleman, and Austin Walter. Austin Walter, the great, apparently. Um, so I'm, I'm mostly avoiding. Tevin Coleman will probably be my highest ranked out of those guys, but I will have no confidence in it, and I will have <laughs> them ranked. He will be nowhere near enough for any of you to send me a start sit question about him um, if you're looking at my rankings. If you're not, you can just still hit me up on Twitter with your question, and I'll try to answer. Um, Elijah Moore, yeah, look, we've had the great run, and it had to come to a close. Finally didn't have a top 36 finish. And it all comes when who's back at quarterback, Zach Wilson. It's crazy, Ian. Like, you know, how can Zach Wilson really be worse for Elijah Moore than Joe Flacco, than Mike White, than Johnson? Like, I mean, it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing, really. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, we do have a questionable tag on Zach Wilson this week. He hurt his knee in that game. He did come back in. But either way, I'm not going to put too much of this on Wilson. You know, I know some people that, you know, I really respect that watch a lot of the games say he's looked terrible. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know that any of the backups are really. I know they had some better yardage games and they, you know, put up some, you know, bigger numbers. But it, some of that just feels kind of fluky to me. So Elijah Moore, I have right at wide receiver 36 on the week. But it's less to do with who's going to be the starting quarterback. And it's really more to do with the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the fourth toughest against wide receiver against opposing wide receivers from a wide receiver strength of schedule standpoint it's a 2.2 out of 10 and then whenever you look at um a points given up to opposing wide receivers by the eagles only 28 per game and when you think there's typically four wide receivers involved in a game plan and you're only getting 28 and you're divided up across four of them not good so that's going to also push Corey davis even you know if he plays that's going to push Corey davis down outside of the top 36 by a good bit he'll probably be more around like the mid 40s cardinals at the bears arizona seven and a half point favorites. Bears, are you kidding me in geez come on man hear that bears putting the whole <laughs> podcast in jeopardy game total at 45 and a half kyler should be back i'm not a uh i think it was a marvel thing i'm not a marvel guy i don't i come on just like it's always one superhero movie after another that's a bad take for another day but <laughs> kyler my point is that kyler tweeted out a gif of i think thanos is the guy like walking out of his cave or some weird shit but i think that was kyler's way of trying to say he's back so we're tentatively hoping that kyler but does he have back. all of the rings on like is he I full don't, power god that's what we need to I know knew, i knew i was missing something from this and this just goes back <laughs> to my lack of superhero knowledge so during the offseason, I'll brush up on that and hopefully uh, have a better grip on Kyler's social media. When you media are a superhero, game. Ian, you don't pay attention to other super superheroes. See, that's your problem because you're just you're, you're just your you're our local superhero of the show. So I have gotten got here in this uh, <laughs> early beginning to uh, this breakdown. 
Anyway, if Kyler is going to be out there, you guys know you're starting him in fantasy, but we cannot overstress just how damn good he was as a passer before getting hurt. PFF, we have a big-time throw rate metric, and we have a turnover-worthy play rate metric. They sound just like you think they would. Big-time throws, tight windows, quote-unquote elite throws that, yeah, they're a little bit subjective, but you go back and you watch the plays, and I don't think too many people are going to disagree with them, and it gives you the chance to just show that not every single throw is created equal as we all know turnover worthy plays it will take you know dropped interceptions things like that that were worthy of turnovers weren't necessarily a turnover and include them as well and this also helps quarterbacks when you know they hit their receiver in the head and the ball uh, goes to a cornerback and is picked off they don't get dinged for an interception so I know they're not traditional stats but they're trying to do their best and in these stats Kyler is number one in the highest rate of making these elite big time throws and he's number one in limiting turnover worthy plays so he's been like the anti... He's like the anti-weeks one through eight Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G is playing a lot better now, so I don't want to shit on him. But like Jimmy G was like worse than both of those things to start the year. Kyler is the best. So that's how good he's been. And I cannot wait to see him back in action. Hopefully he will be back with DeAndre Hopkins as well. In week 11 before their bye, we had, of course... Antoine Wesley playing ahead of everyone else in the offense because why not? But it was three wide receiver sets of Wesley, Christian Kirk, and A.J. Green. We had Rondale Moore playing fewer than 50% of the offensive snaps, still somehow getting 11 targets and 11 catches with that. It basically was the Chase Edmonds pass game role. So with Edmonds out of the picture for another week, at least still on injured reserve with that ankle injury, I don't hate the thought of bumping up Rondale, but like Dwayne, where do you have Rondale? Because I'm not sold that he's going to, again, get like these double digit targets. It was promising, but I'm not sure that one week sample is enough to go all in on it. No, I got him at like wide receiver 49 right now. Okay. <clears throat> no, I, I, I want to stay as far away from Rondale Moore as I can, you know, right. at the moment. Yeah, that, that's fair. So please be back, DeAndre Hopkins, and we can get back to treating him. You know, not probably not the top five, top six guy we thought. Kyler has been spreading the ball around all year, and Colt McCoy did as well when he was under center. But it's DeAndre Hopkins. You know, you're still starting him in fantasy lineups all over the place. And finally, in this backfield, not the most ideal matchup against the Bears. They're pretty, you know, middle of the pack in the majority of run defense stats you'll look at. But without Khalil Mack, who's on injured reserve with the foot and selling his Chicago mansion, uh, sure looking a lot less scary in that front seven. James Conner without Edmonds, PPR RB1, RB16, and RB7 had 26, 14, and 27 combined carries and targets along the way. And like the, the 14 one and the RB16 finish was like a horrific performance from Colt McCoy when he got hurt and like the Cardinals offense was basically like, get us the hell out of here. So Connor should be in your RB1 ranks and you are starting him even if there's a fire all over the place. And that is all I got. Dwayne Bears, man. Look at you just running hot. We got Dave Montgomery. We got Darno Mooney, though. We, we got some things to talk about. Yeah, so we'll start with Justin Fields. You know, he's, he's going to be in a tough spot if he plays. We know he's got the rib issue. Um, so 30 points, or sorry, 18.5 points given up per game to opposing quarterbacks. That's the third least by the Cardinals defense. It's a 2.9 on our quarterback strength of schedule metric, which is the seventh worst on the week. And we actually just, we have a lot of bad quarterback matchups this week, way more than, than normal. So um, looking at that, that's not good. And then a minus 21 in the offensive line pass blocking advantage, or shall we say disadvantage. So Fields is gonna be outside 
of my top 17 right now. I haven't quite settled on where he'll be, but he'll be somewhere between like 18 and 20. Um, and remember, this is this is a guy that has a sky high um, sack rate. Like so, this could be a huge week for the Cardinals defense. They're going to have a shot at strip, you know, um, strip sacks. Probably going to play from ahead. You know, so there's going to be plenty of dropbacks for. Justin Fields, so it's it's going to be a smash spot for the uh, Cardinals defense, not so much for Fields. As far as the running game goes, David Montgomery, look, all I can say about David Montgomery is like nobody in the NFL right now is seeing more elite utilization. And look, he actually looked good early in the year. I remember having to come on to this, you know, to this show and say, sorry, I was wrong on David Montgomery. Like I was totally fading him. And then he came out and looked really good. And I was worried, is this going to be split, you know, three ways and he's getting it all. So over the last three games, 85% of the snaps, 95% of the snaps, 84% of the snaps, rushing attempts, 62%, 74%, 68%, short down and distance, 100% every game, Ooh. long down and distance, 100%, two minute offense, 100%. And these are all three games in a row. Like, so he is seeing the, I mean, there's literally no one in the NFL right now that is seeing better utilization than Montgomery. He still has to turn that into points on the field. But again, what is King in, in fantasy football? The utilization. Utilization, but as Ian says, volume. Because utilization is really going towards volume. I, I threw you a softball. Come on. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll work on the superhero stuff and we'll work on the on the tater balls to Ian. But uh, oh, David my. Montgomery <laughs> is my number 12 running back this week. I've got Kamara at 10, Corderell Patterson 11. Montgomery rounds out, you know, my top 12. Um, the matchup is not terrible. I mean, 22.5 points to opposing running backs, you know, given up by the Cardinals is not great. But the underlines from a PFF standpoint, 6.9 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule and a 54 offensive line run blocking advantage with some of the injuries that the Cardinals have had over the last few games. So I think Montgomery's going to be worth a low end RB1 this week. And then a real quick note Real here quick. On, uh, hold on. Yeah, yeah, real quick. Ahead, I'm Montgomery. I'm Cardinals yeah. are tough. After that, they're in Green Bay. I think we could all see how that game might have some negative game script. If for some reason, I think ESPN's trade deadline is Wednesday. I know a lot of leagues are already done, but if maybe you don't have a trade deadline, really consider Montgomery. You just heard all the utilization stuff. And final three games of the fantasy season, Vikings, Seahawks, and Giants. I mean, yeah. that's as good as we could ask for. Yeah, he is my number one by low of the week on the nice. utilization report. Hell yeah. So absolutely, yeah. Got to go get him. Um, Darnell Mooney. Wow, another guy that's, you know, his utilization has been there really all season, Ian. Like, he's actually been leading the team in targets, targets per route run, even when Allen Robinson was out there doing his thing. Um, and now it's just finally starting to click for him. We talked about maybe it was to do with the health, and then he was back on the injury report last week. Didn't matter. You know, he still came out and really just destroyed everything. Like when you look at Mooney, like over the last four, four over the last three games, a finish of seven, four, and 15. Like that's, that's awesome. Like you're destroying it. Like we talk a lot on here about Elijah Moore and some of these other receivers. Like Mooney's kind of gone under the radar, really, in our analysis. So, He's a guy that I've got at 28 this week because it is a little bit of a tougher matchup against the Cardinals in the passing game. Um, but I may end up moving him around a little bit because, I mean, I've got him in Tier 4 right now, um, and I haven't fine-tuned this, but I've got 11 players in my Tier 4. So right now, like, I already see some players I'm going to move him ahead of. I'm like, I'm going to put him over – I'll probably put him over Devonta Smith. I'm going to have him over Hunter Renfro. I'm going to have him over Van Jefferson. I'll probably yep. put him over Mike Williams just at this point with the, what we're seeing with Mike Williams. So Let's do it. Why not? Yeah, so top 24. We could see Allen Robinson back, but honestly, that doesn't really bother me. 
um, because we've already seen Robinson on the field. And if you look at it over the last two weeks, Marquise Goodwin and Cole Komet have really demanded their own targets. So even if Allen Robinson comes back and kind of takes away from those guys, I think Mooney is still going to be safe. Um, he's just their playmaker. Now, we could see the Cardinals try to do more to take him away because he has been the one element of the of the uh, Bears offense that's actually been something that the opposing defense really should be worried about so far You know, to this point this season. So we could see a little bit more focus on Mooney, but I think right now, looking at the finishes he's had, that he has had, looking at the utilization that he's got, the targets, all the underlying things that look really good. A dot all of it. He leads the air yards. He leads the team in third and fourth down targets. I mean, every way you want to cut it, pretty solid in play action targets at all points to positiveness for Mooney. The only down, the downside with Mooney, and you guys all know it, it's Andy Dalton. It's it's Fields. Like whichever guy's at quarterback, it's obviously not one of your favorite signal, signal callers in the league. Um, so Mooney probably have him in, in my top twenty-four this week. Colquitt has played better. But this week, it's a really tough matchup against the Cardinals. Only 7.7 points allowed to opposing tight ends. So Cole Komet's a guy that'll be in my third tier of tight ends. Um, probably more down around like 15 or 16 this week. With Mooney, like he has the role that I wish like the Seahawks would give DK Metcalf because they give him the downfield air yard shots, but then they also give him a bunch of screens and short, uh, quick hitters. So, yeah, even if there is going to be more attention on him because he's been performing well, I think that he not only just has the targets, but the manner in which they feed him targets, I think he'll be able to beat that, you know, better than your typical number one receiver that's only being asked to, you know, win on an island downfield, things of that nature. Chargers at the Bengals. Cincinnati is a three-point favorite. Game total tied with that Buccaneers game for a week high at 50 and a half. Justin Herbert, you know, we talked about this last week where we saw that Steelers performance, uh, you know, against a banged-up Steelers defense where he continued to not throw the ball downfield, kind of equated it to the Chiefs against the Raiders, didn't exactly fix some of the offensive problems. And I think we've continued to see that. So, on the year, he's been great throwing downfield. He's seventh among 45 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, second in QB rating. The problem is only Jimmy Garoppolo, Tua, Daniel Jones, and Matt Ryan have thrown a lower rate of their passes at least 20 yards downfield. Not a great group to be in. You don't need to throw downfield. You know, Tua... They're doing all these quick hitters. We talked about their offensive line being terrible. Matt Ryan, same thing with the O-line. Daniel Jones, you know, Jimmy G may just have the arm strength to really make that that big of a deal in your offense anyway. But when you have Justin Herbert, you can, you know, like that old Mike Vick Gatorade commercial where he's throwing the ball completely out of the stadium. Like, that's the type of stuff that Herbert is capable of doing with his arm strength. So, again, it just feels like a waste. And we have now seen this go hand-in-hand hand with Mike Williams just not being the guy that we thought he could be in the first half. Half of the year. So that's kind of been the frustrating part because the extension of Mike Williams, in my mind, was going hand in hand with Justin Herbert also becoming a great quarterback. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying he won't be. He's still young. This is his second freaking season. But that kind of has been, I guess, the part that some people have missed. Like, it's not that Mike Williams has just completely fallen off and the rest of the Chargers offense is just humming like nothing changed. We have seen Justin Herbert not quite be that same guy, pal, in the same time period. So uh, hopefully when they are passing the ball, 
the few times they have been thrown deep. They do it against Eli Apple. He is PFF's 101st ranked cornerback in overall grade. Jadobia Wuzier is 11th, and Mike Hilton had a nice pick six last week. He is 19th. So I do think there's a chance that Mike Williams draws that Eli Apple shadow coverage. Usually they put a Wuzier on uh, the number one receiver. It is a little bit complicated, though, because not, neither of these guys make too big of a habit going to the slot. Keenan spends uh, more time there than Mike on a week-to-week basis. So, look, starting Keenan, no matter what, since the bye, wide receiver 14, wide receiver 3, wide receiver 9, wide receiver 14, and last week, wide receiver 21. With Mike, that's where he is no longer a must-start guy by any stretch. Dwayne, I think kind of that range you were talking about having Mike Williams in, Upside boomer bust wide receiver three at this point is fitting because he, since the bye, has been the wide receiver 45 or worse, except for the wide receiver 10 week. But even that wasn't a great game. He just got loose on a broken coverage there at the end and took a nice uh, took a nice ball from Herbert 50 yards to this, to the house. So not great for Mike. We're still loving Keenan. And obviously, we love Austin Eckler. Our guy Nathan Yonke has been telling you to treat him as a top five running back ever since freaking, you know, June. March, his entire life, even before Austin Eckler was born, Nathan Yonke was telling you about this, and that is what he's been all year long. Overall RB2, only Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris have more overall weeks as a top 12 PPR running back, and that is mostly from the receiving work. Based on purely you know, fancy points from receptions, yards, receiving touchdowns, Eckler is number one among all running backs in fantasy, and the Bengals are a bottom four defense in receptions and receiving yards allowed to opposing RB a lot of that I think is that game where Najee Harris had like 19 targets and caught like 15 of them against his defense either way if we're going to see the Chargers potentially have to play from behind those are the sorts of passes that we've seen this defense be willing to give up so yeah man I would love to sit here and say that the Chargers are going to be figuring things out and start getting Mike Williams back into the system and everything I'm just not super confident that's going to be the case so Keenan and uh, Eckler obviously we're starting them everywhere after that don't need to have the same sort of, uh, you know, force starting that we might have had earlier in the year. I believe you said Justin Herbert, QB 11, Dwayne. I think that is right on there. With the Bengals, though, a lot more positive vibes going on, particularly with Joe Mixon, who Dwayne cannot miss recently. Last six games, RB4, RB24, RB2, RB4, RB4, and RB2. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, how many touchdowns does he have in that time? <laughs> I think he scored two every game. In, in those he's, games. He's got he's three just... straight, I think, with two. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I think it might be four now that he's had three, that he's had two or more. So, yeah, he's got eight. T- he has eight touchdowns in his last four games. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so real quick with this matchup, kind of like zooming back out, um, you know, a couple big things. Um, when talking about the passing game with Joe Burrow, whenever we talk about the Chargers, like this is going to, this will lead right into the Joe Mixon point as well. But we know what the Chargers like to do. They like to stay back in coverage. So if you look at all the teams that run, you know, all the different coverages that we track at Pro Football Focus. So two of the bigger ones you want to look at are cover four and cover six. If you look at cover four plus cover six together, no one, only five other teams run that coverage more than what the Chargers do. So they really are inviting opposing teams to run the ball. So Joe Burrow, I've got a QB 10 this week, but he's really just a low end QB one. Um, I do think that the Bengals will come out and they will accept the invitation to run the football just because they have ran it so well over the last several games. And I think it's going to be a big spot for Mixon. I've got him as running back six right now. 
only behind Jonathan Taylor, Alexander Madison, Leonard Fournette, Austin Eckler, and Najee Harris. You could make an argument to push him higher, you know, number three. Like, and we could, I, there wouldn't really be anything to say. The only thing Joe Mixon doesn't have is he doesn't have the two minute offense, or sorry, he doesn't have the long down and distance offense. But over the last two weeks, he has picked up the two minute work. So really, he's got almost all the early down work, most of the two minute offense, and he's getting a little bit of the long down and distance. So he's a near just every down back. And look, he's playing in an offense that wants to give him the ball. The offensive line is playing well um and you know the Bengals are pretty much a threat every week to score a lot of points and be down inside the five quite often you know despite the fact that they don't really run a lot of plays they're very efficient so I look for Mixon to have a nice game Burrow I think is a little bit more capped in this one and for those same reasons well actually just real quick for those same reasons that we talked about with that coverage actually in regulation so just getting rid of overtime to kind of try to equalize everything if you look at the Chargers and this is a team that doesn't trail all the time, right? So this isn't, you know, there's different reasons that you that these stats, you know, um, are create or how they how they come into play or how they're created, what causes them. But when you look at opposing running back attempts or attempts allowed to opposing teams as far as rushing attempts, 28.2 per game in regulation, getting rid of the overtime. So that's the third most in the league. And so that's what you've got Joe Mixon going up against. And when you look at the Chargers, they give up 27.1 points per game to opposing Ooh. running backs. So it's a really good spot for Mixon. As far as the receivers go, it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of like what I talked about last week with the Packers playing against um, the uh, Rams. You know, Ian, and the types of the, the Rams run a lot of covers very similar, and that's where Brandon Staley came from, right? That what we see with the Chargers. So, this could be a game where Tyler Boyd could make a little bit of noise in because he's going to be the guy that's going to be left uncovered underneath. He's going to be working free through those zones. Those safeties are going to be over the top. It's going to impact Jamar Chase the most. Look, people, you're not going to bench Jamar Chase. I get it. You're going to still have him out there. He still carries big boom uh, upside. He's going to see some single coverage opportunities, and he could always come through, make a huge play. We, we know he can also. He's a threat to run after the catch. Jamar Chase can do everything. So you're always going to play him. But just it's going to be tempered expectations for me a little bit this week. And then T, I actually think that the pecking order could be Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and then Jamar Chase this weekend, just based on their average depth of target. Now, last week, T. Higgins did work more downfield, and it was more Jamar Chase underneath. Jamar Chase underneath. So you could see the Bengals get wise to that and say, hey, we're going to get our best playmaker the ball underneath. So you never want to bench a player because of this. But if you're like cutting, if you're like splitting hairs and you're thinking about your DFS lineups and trying to figure out how to get creative, I think if this game turns into a big shootout, it's going to be Tyler Boyd that would probably come into play and have a big game because we know there, while there's going to be chances for Jamar Chase to do those things, Tyler Boyd's going to be open pretty much all day. And so it would have to get into a shootout kind of mode, though, for Tyler Boyd to really pay off. But he will be inside my top 36 right wide receivers for the first time in multiple weeks. I've had him outside the top 36 for a good bit, but I'm going to put him in there for this matchup. I don't like it. I love it. Jaguars at the Rams, LA sitting as 12 and a half point favorites, game total at 48. I will be brief here. Trevor Lawrence, again, it's just impossible to really judge him uh, this season. Only Justin Herbert has had to deal with more overall raw drops on the year every single week. You see Lawrence make some mistakes, but again, brighter football minds than myself have talked about just kind of the overall mundane nature of this passing game and just how really you can't even expect anyone to make this work with the receiver injuries and the scheme going along with it. So LaVisca Chenault, Chenault Marvin, Marvin Jones, Laquan Trebwell, whoever, if you really want to take your chance with these guys, you know, Dwayne, I'm guessing Did they're all probably... Did you just call probably... him LaVisca Chenault, like as in you should not wow. use him? I think he just wow. came up with a new nickname. 
I think I did accidentally. <laughs> accidentally. Little, uh, it's little Freudian slip there. LaVisca should not. Wow. LaVisca <laughs> should not start. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah there we go. No, you said it. You said it. That's it. Yeah, that's all I'm doing with the wide receivers. Great. Moving on. James O'Shaughnessy <laughs> did play 81% snaps last week. It looks like Dan Arnold's going to be out of the picture. Uh, we talked about O'Shaughnessy on the waiver pod as a potential streamer. It's gross, but he is a full-time, every-down tight end. Those are pretty hard to find in Fantasyland, and we at least have some semblance of him putting up some decent enough receiving production. So, O'Shaughnessy, he's someone in that tight end two range that you can hope falls into the end zone, maybe catches five passes. Though one guy we can feel great about is James Robinson, who is just so, so good at football. League best, 76% of his carries, he's gaining at least two yards after contact. That is better than even number two, A.J. Dillon. PFF rushing grade, he's six. Missed tackles, force per carry, tied for 11th. Yards per carry, eighth. Yards after contact per carry, tied for fourth. Continue to fire up James Robinson in every single starting lineup. I get it. Maybe he's an upside RB2. There are a lot of good running backs in this league, but I think if you can squeeze them in the top 12, nobody will be disagreeing with you. So go with James Robinson. Otherwise, if you have to start on these guys, you know, maybe send an extra prayer to the football gods and fantasy gods before Sunday kickoff comes along. Dwayne, one thing to say about the Rams. Beckham's back. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Beckham, as far as his utilization goes, it was really nice um, seeing what the Rams did with him. He was actually out there for 98% of the routes, Ian, 24% of the targets, which was second on the team, 26% of the air yards, 50% of Matt Stafford's third and fourth down targets. I'm sure he would prefer those to be going to Cooper Cup. But hey, we'll take it. That shows that there is some trust starting to develop between Beckham Jr. and Stafford. And really the big thing, Ian, um, you know, really with all these receivers, but Beckham, like we finally get to see his big play upside unlocked again. We know that Stafford, with the way this offense is designed, like he's looking to take shots actively down the field every single game. And we know that Beckham and Van Jefferson are going to be in play for those. So I will have Beckham as a borderline wide receiver, uh, you know, two this week. He'll be a low end wide receiver too. Got to stay on brand for you, Ian. There but I like the matchup. It's a, it's the wide receiver strength of schedule. Ten out of ten, Ian. Ooh. For Odell Beckham Jr. For Cooper Cup. Well, hey, let's do the right order. For Cooper Cup. <laughs> for Odell Beckham Jr. And for Van Jefferson. So you could really see any one of these guys, you know, have a huge game. You could see all of them have a huge game, which is why I have Matt Stafford inside my top eight this week. I've got him below Jalen Hurts right now, but if Hurts is if Hurts is questionable this week, or if he's limited in practice, and we think that you know he's not going to be able to give us even if he plays not give us the normal running rushing upside i will move stafford ahead of hurts um you know it's a, it's an interesting week at quarterback to say the least but stafford could sneak his way into my top seven i don't see him getting past dak at six you know we talked about the cowboys already and what could what could happen with the potential fireworks there but stafford would be right there with dak um, in that scenario. As far as the running backs go, Daryl Henderson, we will have to keep an eye on him as far as the quad injury, see what happens. If he doesn't play, Sony Michelle steps into the same rank, basically, because he's going to get all of the work. And so Henderson has a great matchup, 9.4 out of 10 in the running back strength of schedule, a 69, plus 69 offensive line run blocking advantage, nice. which is the number two on the slate for the weekend. So Henderson's just in an absolute smash spot favored by 12 and a half points like you can't really ask for much better like if i knew henderson was completely healthy i might bump him up one more spot than where i've got him 
Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. It, the worst case is we don't want to see this be like down, down to a game time decision and we're worried like, okay, is he going to get the full workload? Hopefully he'll get in a full practice by the end of the week. We hear he's going to be good to go and we can use him. If not, we just want to be able to pivot off of him and use Sony Michelle. I think if he's active, again, we could always get a report that changes thing, but when we had that week four game where he was coming back from the injury, I think he was even like a game time call there. He was questionable he was. leading up to the game. And he's and then he came hurt, in, so it's tough. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. he came in from there and he did play 90% snaps. So I know they're not the same injuries, but I feel like we've kind of seen this from the Rams uh, in terms of if he's going to be out there, they will have his usual role. I, I, I wrote the same exact thing in my running back column where if he's out, we are just putting Sony Michelle back in there. They are essentially the same guy for fantasy yeah. purposes. Like right now, I got an, I have him at eight. If I have any concern about his injury though, and I think it's a, just even a little bit of a doubt, like there's just some other players that are close enough, like Elijah Mitchell, Alvin uh, Kamara, Cordero Patterson, David Montgomery, like right there in that range, I could see me just dropping him below those um, just because like if I, if I worry that he could get, you know, re-injured in the game. It's so, t so this news broke about Henderson's injury after we had recorded our waiver wire podcast. Obviously, Madison is still one. It's just so tough not knowing if, how severe this injury is for Henderson. I want to say I would prioritize Sony ahead of the Panthers running backs. You're definitely not getting anything this week from them. Um, by where do you stand in like Michelle versus Jamal Williams, Dwayne, knowing that we have more uncertainty with Michelle if he'll even have the role? Yeah, I still, I would still stay with Williams. And plus, I think, I think so. that we could have a longer-term injury than what the Lions are leading on with Swift. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it could be something true. where in two weeks they're just like, screw this, let's shut him down. We're not going to win a, we're not winning another game. What's the point in getting DeAndre Swift hurt? So I would keep him below those. I would still probably go after the Panthers guys unless we do hear for sure that like you know Henderson's going to be out and yeah. you know you get to use Michelle. Then yes, I would bump Michelle up in that case. Um, but if it's just a situation where we don't know and you got to make a call on it, I would still go ahead and probably take the Panthers backs, just knowing that even if it's not going to be what we thought before, you know that CMC's out for the year, right? Yeah. And then after that, that's probably where I would slot, you know, Michelle in. Uh, again, if we hear Henderson's out, like you're just trying to win this week to keep advancing in your playoffs or to get into your playoffs, like Sony Michelle, like is an absolute must get um, if he's on your waiver. And as we've brought up several times, like he is one of the highest end handcuffs out there. So hopefully you already had him on the bench anyway. Uh, you could at least imagine what it'd be like if you did. Hey, Football not to team. Us, but you know, yeah. just to throw it in there, we didn't talk about this name yesterday, but another sneaky one now at this point is Ronald Jones. Like with Leonard Fournette taking over all this work and we're seeing Geo's work really reduced, like somebody you can get for nothing. You can get for 1%. If all of a sudden, you know, Leonard Fournette was hurt. Like, where would we rank Ronald Jones next next week? He would be in our top fifteen. He'd probably yeah. be, in our, he'd be in our top eighteen. You know, on he'd be, the he'd be an every office. week starter. Yeah. yeah, he'd be an every week starter. I do. He wouldn't get the passing work. We wouldn't yeah. expect him to replace Lenny. We would expect Geo to then get involved on the passing downs. But basically, we would get what we were getting from Fournette like four or five weeks ago before he had this expanded role. It'd so. be a two back. Two back committee, knock on wood, that Keyshawn really Bond wouldn't. Uh, yeah, but in the freaking top ranked scoring offense, very good point, Dwayne. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Football team at the Raiders, Las Vegas, two and a half point favorites. Game total was at 49 and a half. How about Antonio Gibson on Monday night? Count them, 36 combined carries and targets on 70% snap rate. I thought he looked healthier than he has arguably all season long, which was great to see. 
Unfortunately, J.D. McKissick is not as healthy. That was a scary moment. Got taken off on the stretcher. He was sitting up afterwards. I'm not sure what they ended up calling it. Neck versus concussion. Obviously seems like something that could take him a week or so. So, you know, we never wish injuries on anyone. If McKissick is going to be out, though, that is the difference between Gibson being, you know, the game script dependent RB2, even RB3 that we've seen for most of this year, and being a full-fledged RB1. This would be the workload that we were hoping we were going to get from week one in the first place. It's again, it's a shame it took a you know bad injury to JJ McKissick to get It'll there. It'll be great for all those fantasy rosters that are not in the playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, well put. Well but if put. you snuck but, one in with Antonio Gibson, like it could be huge. Like this, it's a true. I mean, feature back role. Like you know, if you go back to old Merrill Hodge, feature back. And <laughs> that's what you would have with Antonio Gibson. It might be exactly what happened with uh, Kenyon Drake last year. Everyone used this first or second round pick on him. He disappointed for the first eight, nine weeks of the year. And then, like, as you're, you know, wiping your tears away in January, February, starting to do some prep work for next year, you're like, oh, wait, he actually finished as a borderline RB1 because he put together some uh, games here when my team was already out of the playoffs. So Gibson is going to be an every week starter if McKissick is ruled out. Truly, I mean, he will be in the top 12. Just keep an eye on that McKissick injury otherwise pretty much you know this was this was great usage to see but it was against the seahawks terrible defense against running backs in terms of fantasy points allowed and also a game where we were able to see washington play with positive game script certainly not a guarantee against the raiders so i don't want to freak out about the monday night game in terms of what gibson did it was good to see more so though pay attention to that usage that usage shift is going to be what could change everything for gibson with the receivers, Terry McLaurin, he is like the biggest boomer bust wide receiver too in the league at this point. Four top nine finishes on the year. Every other game he's been outside the top 30. You're starting him, you know, again, say an extra prayer to the fantasy gods, hoping that you get one of his good weeks. It's just a shame, man. Taylor Heineke, I always love, I don't love it, but whenever we get these good to mediocre quarterbacks on primetime, like the ways the announcers are trying to hype them up as like the next big thing at quarterback always uh, tends to crack me up. He is fine, but we are seeing, you know, McLaurin really get held back because of Heineke, already becoming his generations. Andre Johnson, Allen Robinson, whatever you want to call it, it has been rough for McLaurin with the quarterback play. That's why he's number one in all these contested uh, target, contested catch, contested catch rate statistics. Like that's not good to me when you have someone that is as good of a route runner as Terry McLaurin having to make all these contested catches makes you wonder maybe that ball should be there a little bit uh, earlier later whatever it is to not make it so damn tough on Terry all the time we did get Curtis Samuel back last week only played 20 snaps can't get behind that yet in Fantasyland we can get behind Logan Thomas though 79% snap rate should have had a touchdown but you know what is a catch all I know is that Des caught it so they ruled no catch on that one Logan Thomas I wouldn't be surprised if he is back to his usual 99% percent snap roll moving forward he'll be back into that borderline tight end one area maybe even low end tight end one that he was before the injury and with Heineke he's still a perfectly fine streamer this it's just who he is we're gonna get some good weeks he had back-to-back top 12 finishes before last week then we'll get a dud outside the top 20 as we saw against the Seahawks Ra- Raiders are a bottom 12 defense and fantasy points per game allowed to opposing QBs so Heineke perfectly fine streamer but not someone you should be going out of your way to get by any stretch of the imagination. 
Dwayne Gibson wasn't the only running back to see an actual boost in his usage last week. That was also the case for Josh Jacobs in that Thanksgiving game. I know the Raiders got to play with the lead, but we did get a pregame report from Jason LaCanfora basically saying that they wanted to get Jacobs more involved to begin with before that game. If we can start seeing that role on a weekly basis for Jacobs, man, like Gibson, he's going to start flirting with some RB1 status. Yeah, I mean, the last three weeks, his snaps have been 57%, 66%, and 66%. And so this last week, we saw Jalen Richard come back to the lineup. And so the week before, we had seen Josh Jacobs take over the two-minute offense. That has normally been Jalen Richard's role for like the last four or five weeks. Guess what happened? With Jalen Richard back, 100% of the two-minute offense still went to Josh Jacobs. So that's a plus. So Jacobs, honestly, like he's a mirror right now. He's not an exact mirror. He's getting a little bit less of the rushing attempts, but like his comp would be Joe Mixon as far as the workload like that he's getting. So he's going to see somewhere around 60% of the rushing attempts. Mixon's more around 70, 75%. But outside of that, everything is very similar. They're, they're out there for a number for a similar number of routes. You're going to see 40 to 50%. And he is getting targeted more. His targets per route run over the last three games, 26%, 37%, and 18%, which makes sense because they're just struggling to really do much. Brian Edwards isn't doing anything. Um, you know, Zay Jones, yes, he can get PI calls against, you know, Anthony Brown, but so can anyone. But outside of that, Zay Jones can't really do anything else. It's, it's really all about Deshaun Jackson, Hunter Renfro, and then you have uh, Darren Waller. So really getting somebody else involved underneath like Jacobs, I think, is a good move for the team just as far as trying to get first downs. Look, I know, folks, like it's not optimal to throw the ball on swing passes underneath. But, like, you have to spread the fill out vertically and horizontally. Like, you have to create space within the defense. So sometimes these these plays that may not always seem optimal are there to set up the play later that is optimal. Because guess what? DBs and linebackers, they eventually get tired of these swing passes or check down passes. And this guy getting five or six yards and you just keep getting first downs. And then that's what opens up space behind. It's almost like a running play in a way. So with Jacobs, I do like him. Um, it's a tough matchup this week. Only 22.6 points allowed per game by Washington to opposing running backs. Um, it's also tough from a running back strength of schedule standpoint. It's a 4.1 out of 10. It's not terrible, you know, but it's below average. Offensive line run blocking advantage is only a 9, you know. And so we don't want to be negative, but a 9 is pretty bad. It's going to be probably bottom 6-7 on the week. Um, so Jacobs, I've got a running back 19 right now, Ian. As far as the passing attack goes, Derek Carr, uh, I've got him at uh, quarterback t uh, 13, and he's got the best matchup. From a fantasy standpoint, 27.1 points allowed per game by Washington to opposing quarterbacks. Um, it's a plus on our quarterback strength of schedule at PFF as well as a 5.7 out of 10. So Carr just outside the top 12. If Taysom Hill wasn't returning this week, Carr would have made it in the top 12. So Carr, if you're upset, talk to Taysom Hill. Not my, pro not my problem. <laughs> Trying to give you some love. Hunter Renfro, you know, in... I've just kind of struggled with Hunter Renfro all year. It's like I just keep him at the bottom of my RB3, you know, ranks every week. And it's like, I mean, I've, I'm going to have to have him closer to like right right at the low end wide receiver two or high end wide receiver three moving forward. He's got a good matchup this week. His wide receiver cornerback matchup is a 78. He gets to work inside from the slot. So honestly, when you get to work inside like he does and they do all the things they do with him, these slot receivers, like matchups matter less for them, honestly, than they do for some of the other players. But um, as far as um, points per game allowed to receivers, 39.6 per game given up by Washington. So Hunter Renfro is going to be 
busy we could be without Darren Waller, who is day to day. I don't think you know Waller is going to play. So Renfro could really just be a funnel. Deshaun Jackson, we have seen his. Um, you know, we talked about him on the show the other night, so I won't go too long here, Ian. But basically, we've seen his routes creep up every single week. We don't think he'll ever be like a 90, 85 percent route guy. But if he could get to 75 percent and be around 15 to 20 percent targets, um, you know, and get the deep shots from Carr. Um, then he could have some value. He could be a, he'd be more like a boom bust wide receiver four on a week to week basis. And then last but not least, let's talk about Foster Moreau, who has stepped in in the past and posted a tight end seven finish earlier this season. Whenever we were without Darren Waller, you now get Washington, who's a six point one out of ten on our tight end strength of schedule metric, and they give up thirteen point three to opposing tight ends in PPR points. So I've got Moreau at thirteen right now. So he's the absolute definition of a high end tight end two Ravens at the Steelers Baltimore four and a half point favorites game total at 44 gotta love when your quarterback throws four picks and still somehow finishes as a top 20 fantasy signal caller that is the Lamar Jackson experience I know it's been rough but he faced a Dolphins defense that just blitzed the hell out of him and really kind of figured out his kryptonite at least for the time being that covers zero then he got a Browns defense that is pretty damn freaking good as we have seen all year long now he gets a Steelers defense that just could not be further from what we usually are seeing on that side of the ball and TJ Watt on the COVID list they're not even going to be at 100% necessarily we'll see if he is able to clear that in time either way just relax if you're panicking on Lamar even that Miami game he finished as the QB 10 because he remains a cheat code with this rushing usage I mentioned I mentioned this before with Jalen Hurts but I took all the quarterbacks this year like they're projected pace for however many games they played moving on the rest of the year was their rush attempt pace so by the end of this season if we end the season now and just you know simulated the rest of it this could be the potential leaderboard for single season quarterback rush attempts in nfl history number one 2021 lamar jackson number two 2019 jackson number three 2021 jalen hurts number four and five 2020 and 2018 lamar jackson again I don't want to say he's even necessarily better than Vic. It's such a different game. He's having a whole offense designed around his rushing ability. But just in terms of the volume that we've seen Lamar run, there has truly not been another quarterback in NFL history quite like him. Gotta love the experience. Uh, Devontae Freeman, as we've continued to see, you know, we started to finally trust him as a borderline RB2 last week, and he didn't come through, but that was his worst game in the past six, and he was still the RB37. So in his last six games, RB23, RB21, RB11, RB30, RB9, most recently RB37. We saw Latavius creep up a little bit closer with the snaps, but it was still the Freeman show in terms of total touches. We have seen Pittsburgh get absolutely flamed by DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, and Joe Mixon in three straight weeks. I would not be surprised if we see Lamar and Freeman start to roll on this Steelers front seven. And then with the pass catchers, man, like Hollywood, we haven't been getting the blowups that we were seeing earlier in the year, but last four games, 14 targets, 12 targets, 13 targets, 10 targets. Rashad Bateman's awesome. He is not the number one receiver in this offense. That is Hollywood Brown. Bateman hasn't had more than eight targets in a game all year long. So I get it. We had Hollywood, you know, up in the top 12 for a couple weeks there. Probably can't be getting that uh, aggressive, particularly as this passing game continues to flounder a little bit. With that said, Hollywood still 
at worst the highest of end wide receiver threes and i think you should probably try to squeeze him into that low end wide receiver two range in this winnable spot uh bateman settling in more so uh low end wide receiver three high end wide receiver four and with darren waller hurt mark andrews is your tight end two don't think we need to explain that one too much Dwayne, we got our Steelers, and at least Big Ben this year, he hasn't given us much to love, but he knows how to feed the ball to Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson, and for that, we thank him. Yeah, absolutely. And just looking at Deontay on the season, like, he's just a target monster. 25% targets per route run, 24%, 33% over the last three weeks. He's at 28% on the season targets per route run, 26% target share overall. Um, and he just... They just, they're simpatico. Like, I don't know how else to put it, Ian, but like they're in lockstep. And when you look at, you know, really the Steelers and you look at the way that they handle like single man coverage, what they're going to see a ton of this weekend because the Ravens run it 40% of the time. That's um, third only behind the Dolphins and the Broncos. And so we're going to see plenty of that. And if you look at whenever, um, whenever Ben sees that type of, you know, look on the season, it's really been his nature to go to Deontay Johnson because he just knows that he can trust him in that way. And so if we look at it, uh oh, hang on one second. I've got to pull back up the right thing here. There we go. Yeah. So on the year, when we look at Deontay Johnson, whenever he gets single man coverage, 35% target share. Ian, so we, we like those 26s and 28s, but I think we have even more coming this weekend for Johnson. I've got him inside my top 10 wide receivers. Um, he's done a good job. Trade real getting, quick. I just yeah, I yeah, just saw his stat with Deontay. He has not he has not finished outside the top 24 since week one. So I know we haven't gotten like the 200 yeah, yard the three touchdown game, but my goodness, what a floor. And I think not getting the boom is more the nature of the way you kicked off this conversation, which is it's been, right? Yeah. Like if he had that true elite quarterback, um, you know, we would be seeing even bigger games out of Deontay Johnson. But the good news to your point is that, like, he is his safety blanket. So, I mean, it, and Claypool gets his looks, too. When he sees single man, like, Ben, that's the thing. He'll go to you if you get single man. Like, some of these other quarterbacks that are washed that get kind of afraid, and it doesn't always turn out well for Ben, but he will try. You know, so when he sees Claypool get single man coverage, 28% of the time he targets him even though he gets he gets open at a lower rate than Deontay Johnson, you know, in those situations. Same thing for Pat Farmer, 24% target share whenever Ben single, sees him get singled up. So Ben's basically looking and trying to find who has the single coverage, who has the matchup. He's going to have his choice this weekend against the Ravens because the Ravens are going to come out and challenge um, the Steelers, you know, offense in that way. And so I think it's a good spot. And it could even be a boom-bust option for Claypool. I've got him at wide receiver 29 this week. Um, you know, so he could come down with one of these big plays. You know, we know Claypool has been a bit more, you know, up and down than what we've seen with Deontay Johnson, but we know the underlying of talent is there. We know he can win in these one-on-one -on -one matchups. So he's in a good spot. Firemuth, assuming that Eric Ebron is out, actually has the best matchup across, you know, of all the weapons. The tight end strength of schedule is a 7.7 .7 versus wide receivers is a 2.9. So you've actually got a really strong um, you know, matchup versus a really poor matchup for the receivers overall and 16.9 points per game allowed by the Baltimore Ravens to opposing tight ends, probably because their cornerbacks are so damn good. A lot of quarterbacks don't want to throw outside against the Ravens. So Firemuth, as long as we have Eric Ebron out and we know that he can be around that 70% route range, hell, they need to get him up more like the 80%. Firemuth could be in for a really big week. He could see, you know, we could see some funnel target action going on to him. So I will have him inside of my top 10. 
Uh, ben will be at 25. That's the thing that, that holds everything down. Najee Harris, I have at number five on the, you know, for the week. Um, it's just a volume thing. Harris, I know that he's finished outside, you know, of the top 12 for three consecutive weeks. Well, one of those um, finishes was actually 12th, but the volume is still there, folks. Only 20.9 points given up per game by the Ravens. But look, whenever you know you're on the field for all the passing downs, you know you're getting all the early down work, it's just someone that you're going to play. If you want to move him down to six or seven, great. You know, instead of having him at four or five, it's just tough to move him any further than that, though, with the role that he has. Expected PPR points per game last three years. There's 2019 Christian McCaffrey. There's 2020 Christian McCaffrey. And then 2021 Najee Harris. No, he's not CMC, but he's getting by on the volume. Real quick, we broke down the Giants game already, but in the middle of this podcast, we have found out that it will actually be Mike Glennon under center, likely because Daniel Jones suffered a strained neck in Week 12. It really doesn't change much. Like, you weren't going to start Daniel Jones. You're not going to start. You sure as hell aren't going to start Mike Glennon. We still need to continue to see what receiver are going to be healthy. I would note that hopefully if we see Kadarius Tony out there, it was Mike Glennon who was under center in that Cowboys game for most of it at least when Tony went 10 catches, 189 yards and kind of burst on the scene in the first place. The problem was in that game, we also didn't have Sterling Shepard active. Uh, so a lot of uncertainty going on in New York. Once again, same story. Try to avoid that passing game if at all possible. 49ers at the Seahawks. San Fran, three and a half point favorites. Game totals at 45 and a half. You know, we gave Jimmy G a whole lot of shit in this podcast for the first two months, and now we are applauding the guy. PFF's highest graded quarterback since the 49ers week seven bye. No, we didn't get the Trey Lance experience that you know we were hoping for when we probably drafted him a little higher than we should have back in August, but at least Jimmy G, he's gotten Ayuk going. He's gotten Debo going all year long. Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle, more weeks than not. Good on you, Jimmy G. Of course, we can't really treat him as more than a low ceiling QB2 in fantasy because he doesn't run the ball, and this is just such a run-first offense. More weeks than not. But either way, kudos to you, Jimmy. Already catching myself when I would normally be throwing you under the bus for some of these stats. So it all comes around, Dwayne. I want every quarterback in the league to be awesome because it's not fun to watch. So like when I shit on Baker Mayfield inexplicably like I'm doing right now, that's because the Browns have scored 14 or fewer points in six of their last eight games. Like, I don't enjoy watching that. So just be better, and I'll you know say nice things about you. That's how this works here. Uh, with the 49ers, though, Debo Samuel is expecting to miss a week or two with a groin injury. Look, Juwan Jennings should be the next guy up. You know, Shanahan, I believe, even confirmed that he'll be starting in place of Debo. He's not Debo Samuel. If anything, just expect Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle to have these larger passing roles. And I guess the Seahawks defense that we just saw with Antonio Gibson was able to do to them. Good luck stopping Elijah Mitchell. And I'm not even sure if Shanahan's going to try to do anything else than feed Elijah Mitchell. That sure has been the case more weeks than not. With Jimmy G under center, Mitchell has ripped off touch totals of 19, 19, 18, 18, 13. Last two weeks, 27 and 32. Last two games. I know he missed a uh, week in between there. Either way, remaining schedule, Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, Titans, and the Texans. I've seen some victory laps in the industry about like the week one fab with Mitchell. And like, I, I guess it's warranted. Like we're seeing him have the role we were hoping for. I don't think anyone was thrilled that he had to miss like six weeks after we immediately blew all the fab on him. So, you know, I'm not going to hurt myself patting, patting myself on the back. Uh, you know, and Dwayne, 
I don't think you are either for recommending that back then. But either way, he has the role now, and he is looking like a legit RB1. Dwayne, I believe you were saying, uh, and just with your specific utilization, which everyone can find in your utilization report on pff.com, we had the five targets last week, and it was actually a little bit step um, above what we had been seeing before. It's still with Jermichael Hasty out, but Mitchell, now his pass game usage is actually also moving in the right direction, correct? Yes, and I think the thing that we've seen now with him is they're willing to use, they're willing to get him out into the pattern more on early downs, especially if they get behind. So before there was the concern that if all of a sudden the 49ers are behind, you get a bad game strip and you could really have Elijah Mitchell written out. But he actually already overcame that narrative like three weeks ago whenever they fell behind early and they just decided, look, he wasn't the third or fourth down back, but they were throwing the ball to him a lot on first and second down. So that role still does belong elsewhere. You know, it's not his, but the 49ers find ways to insulate his touches, which is good news. Love that. And yeah, I sent out a a nice little, it was 99 seconds of some of his highlights this year, a little Twitter video for you all. And some people brought up the point like, oh man, just look at those wide open lanes. My grandma could run through those holes. Whatever. The 49ers have the third ranked. That's the beauty uh, of the 49ers running game. That's why, that's why everyone spent so much in fat on it is those (laughs) running lanes. Exactly. So no, I'm not sitting here saying Elijah Mitchell is the second coming of Barry Sanders. Just realize he's running behind a great line. He's getting fed the hell out of the ball, and he's at least making good things happen with it more weeks than not. So that is PFF's third-ranked offensive line in team run blocking grade. Fire up Mitchell. Mitchell, fire up Kittle, fire up Brandon Ayuk. I guess last thing here, uh, Dwayne, how far are we going up with Ayuk? Wide receiver two range. We can't, we can't just replace Debo or anything, but man, Top 24 with Ayuk. We're back, baby. Yeah, it's funny. I went in and highlighted his name because I was just going to talk about it briefly uh, when you threw it over to me. Um, man, I've got him right now at 16. But nice. it's like I, I think I'm going to actually have him a couple of spots higher. It, there's still some news to break, right? Are we going to get Antonio Brown back? There's some other things like that. But, I mean, it's going to be hard. He, he won't be outside my top 20 for sure. So I've got him at 16 right now. But honestly, like the two guys I'm about to have to talk about, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like I I kind of feel better about Brandon Ayuk right now. It's like, oh, my God. Like it's just – it's terrible. Well, tell everyone how terrible it is, Dwayne. I'm sure you all watched the Monday night game, but – DK Metcalf, one reception. Like, one of my issues in this, they weren't even giving him that token, your alpha wide receiver one has been shut out for 40 minutes, so we just want to get him the ball. So we're going to throw him a poorly designed screen that gets blown up, or, you know, he gets his first catch of the game and he fumbles it trying to, you know, break an extra tackle out of frustration and stuff like that. They couldn't even do that for the guy. How is it so hard to get DK Metcalf the ball, Dwayne? Maybe this is why we're talking about fantasy football and not, uh, not, not coaching the real thing on the sidelines. But, man, like it's just so frustrating sometimes seeing this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and if you look at him over the last three weeks, wide receiver 52, wide receiver 56, wide receiver 92. No, those are not my premiums that I have to pay on the family <laughs> plan for like the dental and all that stuff at PFF. Those are DK Metcalf's finishes. Um, they are terrible. Tyler Lockett's haven't really been, you know, that much better. He's gone through a similar streak, you know, where he was 62, 69, 38, 69. Goodness, Tyler, like locking down the 69 there. 75, 67. And he's got a 5, 23, and a 28. It's just like, you know, it's 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 a true hit or miss, true boom bust with these two players. Um, and you just have to stomach it because you know DK Metcalf is an awesome player. 
right? You know that Tyler Lockett is a good player. Um, but if you're in a shallow format, like if you're only in an eight-team league, like, I mean, there might be ways where I'm not playing these guys. It's still going to be really hard um, because it's hard. Even as I sit here and look at my top 24, Ian, there's no way I can get them all the way outside of it, even if I wanted to. But I am thinking about dropping them down just a little bit more versus some of these other guys. But it gets kind of dicey. Like if we hear Hopkins is healthy all week, full practice, fully back, I'm going to move DeAndre Hopkins above him. If Amari Cooper is 100% ready to go, I'm going to move him above him. I may move Jalen Waddle above at least Lockett. You know, I don't know. Maybe I should just move him above both of them. But it's it's not a utilization thing as far as being out there. They're out there plenty, right? It's just that the, the, the biggest issue with the Seahawks offense in – they do not run enough plays. They are the in the their last place in the NFL in plays per game. They're in the bottom. They're in last place in dropbacks per game. So it's just and even the announcers last night, if you were watching the game, like you heard them, they're all like perplexed. They're like, it's almost like how can a team run this few plays? Like how can a team even do? It's kind of hard to do what the Seahawks are doing, especially given the talent that they have. So you know they're the way I look at them now. They're boom bust wide receiver twos. You know, and so you just kind of got to live with it. You know, you're either going to get the hit or you're not. Um, looking at Russell Wilson, I've got him at quarterback 14 on the week, Ian. 20.7 points given up per game by San Francisco, but their defense is playing better as of late. If you look at them on the quarterback strength of schedule, it is a 4.2 out of 10. So it's on the negative side of the scale and a minus seven in offensive line pass blocking um, advantage. And Russell Wilson looked a little better. As that game went on last night, he had some big misses early, you know, that were just like wide open people in the flats and things like that. But it's obvious, like he's just not 100%, and maybe he will be this week, but he at least managed to get two two touchdown passes. And the guy that's really been coming on for him has been none other than Gerald Everett, but he gets a terrible matchup this week against the 49ers. They're giving up 8.4 points per game to opposing tight ends. So that's one of the lowest marks in the league. So Everett will not be, you know, making his way into the top 12 this week. He's going to be around tight end 15 or 16. Yeah, wild stat from John Paulson at four for four underscore John. He did 10 questions with him here a couple of weeks ago. Gerald Everett with 21 targets actually has more targets than Metcalf at 20 and Lockett at 18 since Russell Wilson's return in week 10. Doesn't seem ideal, but what do we know, Dwayne? Well, Sunday night football. What, having a third yeah. weapon would help them. They just, I mean, I think that's what yeah, they've that's needed. Fine. It's like yeah. you, you need someone else to help take you know, the coverage away from the other guys. I'm just not sure that's the only thing wrong with them, right? I mean, with the way with the way this is going. Everett's playing great. I'm not saying he's, he's he was uh, going in last week. He was number one tight end in uh, missed tackles forced uh, per reception. Like, he is awesome. I want to get him involved, but more involved in Metcalf and Lockett. That's where I put my foot in the ground. Broncos at the Chiefs. Sunday night football, Kansas City is sitting as a 10-point favorite game total at 47. So, we did not get the post by Javante Williams' mega bump we were hoping for, but he has now outsnapped Melvin Gordon in back-to-back weeks. Could some of that last week been due to Gordon getting shaken up early in the game? Potentially. But either way, I mean, this has kind of been why we've been talking about trying to acquire Javante for weeks because we have someone that at worst is going to continue to be an RB3 in our ranks that has the potential to finish you know, inside the top 24, even the top 12 like he did last week when he's able to rip off a big player score a touchdown and we have a decent floor and this really is true for both of these guys and then we have you know, quote unquote league winning upside if an injury were to happen. So Melvin Gordon has been a top 30 running back in six straight games. Javante has hit that mark in five of his last seven. So 
they're going to continue to be ranked inside the top 30 and you continue to feel pretty good albeit not great about starting them and it really is just one of these things you know it's i don't want to be a broken record here but when we say free javante it's just because all these underlying metric metrics are straight up borderline erotic i mean his closest comps and missed tackles force per carry and yards after contact per carry are kareem hunt Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, Jonathan Taylor, James Robinson, and of course, Dearness Johnson. So just an incredible group of guys to be with all the way around. And yes, feel good about this backfield because Lord knows we can't feel good about this passing game. Targets in five games with Jerry Judy back. We got Judy at 30. After that, Tim Patrick, 21. Noah Fant, 21. Albert O, 16. And fifth place on his own damn team is Cortland Sutton, which is 15 targets in five games with Jerry Judy. I didn't think it'd be this bad, Dwayne. I don't even want to start Sutton. Is a bounce back game coming? I don't even know at this point. Teddy doesn't even seem to be looking his way. And it's not like that even when he was getting the targets that good things weren't always necessarily happening. I mean, he was one of the leaders in terms of, you know, our sheesh yards, which was basically air yards that weren't caught and we were able to deem them to be the quarterback's fault. I mean, it was already rough enough for Sutton when he was getting targeted. Now he's not even getting that. So can't wait to play, you know, Sutton, Tim Patrick, hopefully a healthy KJ Hamler. Can't wait for them in 2022 when hopefully Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson is under center in place of Teddy. For now, Jerry Judy is the only receiver we can feel good about. But even then, I mean, last week, they didn't have a single player with five targets because Teddy is spreading it out so much. So Judy, I think, is one of those guys where, yeah, you should have him in your top 36, but is he someone you need to be squeezing into every single starting lineup? Absolutely not. Particularly against the Chiefs defense that, let's face it, they've been playing pretty damn good. They've allowed 17 or fewer points in five of their last six games. So no offense. I would love to feel better about him as well, but we got Albert L. Not inexplicably being involved. I mean, he took that one like five yard curl, 60 yards a couple weeks ago. He can make plays as a receiver just in fantasy. We would like to see, not 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 see, I should say, two tight ends so heavily involved. Fant, again, is someone that does not need to be in starting lineups, even if his talent suggests that he should be uh, that guy. So really, if you don't start a single Bronco in your fantasy lineup, you shouldn't be feeling too bad. If it's a running back, uh, you know, try to probably get them in there if you can. With the Chiefs, Dwayne, coming off the bye, here's to hoping they uh, got their offense figured out because, let's face it, other than that Raiders game, it just hasn't been the unit that we're used to seeing here, really, for the better part of the last two months. Yeah, so, I mean, the plus that they get is they're going to see a ton of man coverage <clears throat> this weekend, so they know what they're going to get from the Broncos, so it's not really tough to scheme it up. It's just a matter of, hey, go out and execute. And that's really the kind of team that the Chiefs are, right? When you give them that kind of game plan where it's like, oh, okay, Tyreek Hill's going to get single looks, nice. Travis Kelsey's going to get single looks, okay. <laughs> and so I think that's just really what you're going to see. Um, Tyreek Hill is targeted 31% of the time he gets a single man look. Kelsey's 21%. So I think this is going to be a big game for Tyreek Hill. He's going to be on an island multiple times, and we know what that means, Ian. All it takes is one slip by the DB or just Tyreek Hill being Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes and saying, yes, we will take you up on this challenge of you're going to cover Tyreek Hill with one player. Remember what happened last year whenever the Bucks, the first time that they played the Chiefs. Remember they ran all that man coverage and Tyreek Hill like at halftime had like 200 yards. He was just like <laughs> housing them. And then they went to all this zone coverage. So it's really a matter of what the Broncos do well is play man. And what's been stopping the Chiefs is really more cover four, cover six. It's not been man coverage. It's not been single high safety. It's not been zero um, 
you know, blitz looks. So it's going it, to, it'll be interesting to see like, how are the Broncos going to evolve? Because they don't do those things. They really are a go, they're, they're the mirror really of the chiefs. They believe in just go execute our scheme on defense. So it's kind of a, it's going to be a battle of the wills, I think. Um, but man, Tyreek Hill, I look for him to have a big game, and I think he's going to get loose. You'll probably see the Broncos eventually switch after this happens. Um, real quick, before I jump to uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, on on the running back side, Jerry Judy from a you know if you look at the Chiefs, they're the same way. Like they're like seventh in the league in man coverage. Um, the Broncos run the second most, so it's going to be like a ton of man coverage in this game. And Jerry Judy by far is getting open more than any of the other receivers for the Broncos. And you're going to see more blitzes dialed up um, by Spagnola against um, you know Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I agree with you. If you're going to use any receiver this weekend from the Broncos, Jerry Judy, and yeah, it is still kind of iffy because things get spread out so much. But he is getting open 60% of the time that he faces a single man uh, coverage. Against press coverage, he's getting off the line, getting open 33%, which is also good. The league average is around 20%. So Jerry Judy, even though it's a limited sample size, he has been doing his part. Um, He just needs his quarterback to throw it to him because even when Teddy Bridgewater sees single man against him, he's still only throwing him the ball 21% of the time. So it's still a matter of. Teddy still has to actually throw him the ball again. So, and we, you and I, we can't control that. All we can do, we can't read minds, but we can just read data. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Tyreek Hill, I do have as my number two receiver on the week. Travis Kelsey, obviously the number one tight end. I have Patrick Mahomes at number four quarterback on the week. What about, what are we doing with Clyde Edwards, Alaire? Oh yeah, sorry. Third. I just totally like yeah. walked away from You're him. You're good. Yeah, Go yeah ahead. no, thank you. So with Edwards, Alaire right now, um, you know, I've got him at running back 20. Um, the Broncos are kind of a tough matchup, 21.5 points given up per game. So that's going to be in the bottom third of the league. The matchup is neutral. From, like Our metrics read it as neutral. Running back strength of schedule is a 6.3. And then offensive line run blocking advantage is a 53. So I've got him inside my top 24, but I'm still not 100% sold on it just because we saw last game Ian Daryl Williams still handled all of the long gun distance all the two-minute work, and 100% of the short down and distance work. So it's a really, you know, and at Edwards-Alaire, we could see his role expand, like he gets another week off with the bye, but it wasn't like Daryl Williams was playing bad. So I don't think we can just assume that it's a given. So it's just tough to get Edwards-Alaire much higher than that. Honestly, he may come down just a little bit for me, but... I mean, he's right in that range now with the guys you just talked about. Melvin Gordon has to share time. Javonta Williams has to share time. Miles Sanders, if he's healthy, he's going to be sharing time. Devonta Freeman sharing time. So he's just really, he's right there in that tier. I have him slightly above those guys just because we know that the Chiefs offense can pop off. And if that happens, he carries, I think, the upside that he could score a couple of touchdowns. It was his first game back from injury. It would make sense if his role increases, but we don't know that for sure because Daryl has been doing fine with his opportunities. RB20 does feel a little bit high to me until we are positive about that because, and we said this even before Clyde got hurt, we uh, towered him as a sell high candidate, not because we knew he was going to get injured, but because he was having his only success with these like 100-yard rushing touchdown games. He hasn't done anything as a receiver this year. He's only, he has 12 targets in six games. I mean, Daryl Williams had 12 targets in weeks 10 and 11 alone. And when you look at it, again, in terms of expected PPR points, pure volume study, 
Clyde's only the RB37 in terms of expected PPR points per game. So I can see it where he becomes yeah. a solid upside RB2 down the way, but he needs to overtake there. And really the only reason he makes 20 is we've just got a lot of teams on bye this week. You know, you get two That's Browns fair. running backs that are out. So I mean, yeah. like just real quick, I'm going to name the running backs I have after him. And you name, if, if you think I should move any of these guys above Edwards Alaire, Melvin okay. Gordon, Javonta Williams, Miles Sanders, Devonta Freeman, Tony Pollard, Damian Harris. I would consider Freeman and maybe the Broncos backs just to be a dick uh, in this case study. But, but no, see, I, but I, see, I, I, what, I think it's, it's, just, it's yeah. right there. Like, it's tough. Like, any one of – would we be surprised if any one of those backs led that group? No, that's kind of the point, so – yeah. If, if yeah. It feels high, but I know when it I do does. my ranks tonight, I'm going to have a hard time putting him more than like three or four spots below that. So, but well I know done. you will. I know you will. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to look in the morning. I'm, first thing I'm going to do is wake up and I'm going to look at Ian's ranks. <laughs> Just uh, set the alarm in your phone like with that label. <laughs> look at Ian's ranks that's as we get here. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Final note before we move on, uh, just a fun little thing we were talking about in the PFF offices on Sunday. We're seeing like uh, Ewing theory on steroids happening kind of with this Von Miller trade. Uh, trade. As everyone probably knows, uh, Bill Simmons coined it back in the 90s where when Patrick uh, Ewing got hurt for the Knicks, they actually end up playing better. So the Ewing theory is basically based on this idea of a team getting better without their best player. And since trading Von Miller, the Broncos are 2-1 and, and the Rams are 0-3. So not only have we seen the Broncos playing a little bit better without Von Miller, the Rams have been worse. Uh, just a fun little storyline to keep track of. Final game, though, Monday Night Football. Patriots at the Bills. Manning Cast is back for this one. Buffalo, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Game total at 44. So, you know, I, I don't want this to become the shit on Mac Jones hour. I'll just be brief <laughs> with it. Uh, Could you just take again, it back to Baker Mayfield? Let's not do it to Mac Jones, too. Come on. This is true. This is true. Well, Mac Jones is like legitimately playing great football. I'm just trying to maybe chill on completely crowning him. But I don't know if that many people are. I might be making that mistake like we see on Twitter where uh, I someone see it, I see you know, it quite a bit. <laughs> it happens sometimes, but you know, like uh, the sarcastic font where you like capitalize every other letter, like someone will be like, oh, Keenan Allen can't run good routes. Like, you know, you're yelling at like an argument that doesn't actually exist. So at the risk of doing that myself here, again, I just think it's more, you see the numbers, but when you watch him actually play, you kind of see uh, why we shouldn't be quite as impressed as maybe some other people are or aren't in the world. And the big kind of thing that Dwayne, we both came to the same conclusion with separately uh, last week is this short of sticks leaderboard. These are the quarterbacks that have consistently thrown short of the first down marker the most this year. Jared Goff, Ben Roethlisberger, Tua, Mike White, Andy Dalton, and then Mac Jones. So that's really, and I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. We don't want to be forcing the ball downfield to cover guys, but at the same time, we haven't seen Mac really, I think, put that part of his game at a high enough level yet. Obviously, he's 12 games, 11 games into his rookie year. I'm sure he'll improve, but this is why. I am bringing up my first kicker stat of the year, everyone. First kicker stat ever on this pod. That's why Nick Folk is the kicker one by 32 freaking points this year. Because, you know, when it's third and 10, Mac jo you need eight yards. Mac Jones will get you eight yards. You need 10 yards. Mac Jones will get you eight yards. That's basically what we're looking at here. And because of that, man, and he's also spreading the ball around. All good things for the Patriots who are on a six-game win streak. We just can't really get behind these receivers. So we talked about Kendrick Bourne on the waiver wire pod. He's fine if you need someone to go out there that's going to probably be ranked in our top 40, top 45 more weeks than not. 
Go get him. But between him, Jacoby, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, John Smith, there's just so Brandon Bolden, so many mouths to feed and an offense that wants to be run first when they can. Uh, it's just a tough one, especially in this bad matchup, even with Trevor Davis White done for the year. I'm just not really trying to start anyone involved in this passing game. And honestly, the same is true for the run game. Like it's so unfortunate that we have, I believe, the league's seventh-ranked scoring offense. There's not a single player in it I can feel really great about playing in Fantasyland, particularly with this matchup. I mean, okay, we all saw Jonathan Taylor score five touchdowns against this Bills D, but the Bills have only allowed four running backs to clear 10, 10 PPR points all season. Taylor had that game. Derrick Henry had a big game. Michael Carter helped get there on four catches, 43 yards. Antonio Gibson took a screen 73 yards to the house against them. Those are your only four running backs with even 10 PPR points. Right now, we got Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson splitting early down work, which has been fine because they keep winning these games by double-digit score, by double-digit um, point totals. But Brandon Bolden still takes all the pass down work. And because of that, man, like I'm forced to, I'm, I'm not surprised he didn't have, you had Harris at the bottom of the tier in our uh, Clyde Versailles exercise. I think that's a fine spot for Harris. I would still rank him just ahead of Stevenson, but it's why we can't get behind either of these guys as anything more than basically, uh, you know, a higher end RB3 at this point. I would say touchdown dependent RB3 as the specific lingo there. So wish I could feel better about this Patriots offense. They're killing it in real life. Just don't have enough concentrated volume for really anyone other than Nick Falk uh, to do it. So if you're into the kicker thing, go get Nick Falk. Uh, I, I'm going to take a shower after this podcast, just even talking about that position. Uh, gets gets my gears grinding. I was even proposing last night, Dwayne, like, you know, the Washington kicker got hurt. I came up with a solution for how to stop getting kickers hurt. We remove them from the game. So now I'm actually, I'm trying to help fellow humans not get injured, help families not have to deal with, you know, hurt relatives. So you want to call me a bad guy, then that's on you. But Dwayne, getting back on subject here, we got the Buffalo Bills. And again, I brought this up earlier, but it has been the Josh Allen roller coaster this year. In week one, he was the QB 16 in PFF passing grade middle of the pack we all know that there's 32 teams he finished 16th since then he has either been a top seven quarterback or he has been 24th or worse or excuse me top 10 quarterback or 24 or worse which one do you think we get monday night well i haven't ranked fifth but that's the lowest i've had him all year <laughs> it's you know so i mean he could he could bomb i mean when you look at the Patriots, they give up 16 points per game to opposing running backs. That's only uh, the only one worse is 13.8, which is what Mac Jones is going up against with the Bills. But now you don't have Tredavious White. So, yeah, um, it, it could go the wrong way. But look, if you have Josh Allen, you're playing him. Like I gave my vote of this could be a dangerous game just by moving him to five because he's usually in my top three. I've got Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes all ahead of him. I've got Dak Prescott one spot behind him. So that's my lowest rank for Josh Allen coming into a week this season. So that's really kind of how I had to let folks know like where I'm at on it. But it, 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 it could be a bust game. But if you have him, you're playing him. Um, as far as the receivers go, like you're going to see a ton of man coverage. Like I, that's kind of nice. I've got all these. I've been studying all this man coverage stuff, and you give me all the man coverage. See, you were just really <laughs> trying to do me a big favor. When you look at the Patriots, they use it the third most. Uh, did you see? Did you see that route Stefan Diggs had on Marshawn Lattimore inside the five? It was read. Ridiculous, oh my God. He is so good. That's what so I was talking about good. the Marshawn. That's when I was talking about Lattimore and shadow coverage. Like, okay, he's lost, but look who he's losing to. He's losing to Metcalf on a deep ball, Evans on a deep ball, Diggs one-on-one -on, -one on the goal line. Like, that's why with if these shadow corners. It, you got to go see it. 
But like that's my point. Like I don't want to hear people shitting on Lattimore for getting beat there because 99% of the cornerbacks in the league don't get enough confidence from their defensive coordinator to put them one-on-one against Diggs in the first place. Obviously, he lost that battle, though. Yeah, that there was a lot of nuance to that route, but it was really awesome the way Diggs set it up. But Diggs, look, when he's in single-man coverage, 31% of the time, you know who is going to find him and throw him the ball. So, And that's uh, 10 percentage points above the next closest bill. That's actually, sorry, 30. I was thinking of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek's at 31%. Stefan Diggs is at 33% of the time that he faces that type of coverage. Josh Allen is just going to lock onto him. So Dawson Knox in those situations targeted 14%. Cole Beasley in those situations, only 17%. Emmanuel Sanders in those situations, only 11%. So you're going to see plenty of those looks this weekend for Diggs. I expect, you know, Josh to try to get it to him. We know that the Patriots are going to try to do their thing. They'll probably try to throw some doubles on, you know, to Diggs. But look, folks, for the most part, double coverages, things like that. They're overrated. They do not happen that much in the league. If you look at true bracket coverage, which is what you think of when you hear an announcer talk about double mean, they're truly allocating two players. Like most, the best receivers in the league see that two to 3%. What you do see more of is help coverage. So you could see help coverage up to 20, 30%. That means that basically you've got an extra defender cheating your way. Then if the quarterback does go there on the first read, they're going to be breaking on that. Um, so, but it doesn't always work out that way, right? So there are ways that the Patriots will be looking to add help around Diggs, but he's going to see plenty of matchups in single, and he's going to have plenty of targets from you know Josh Allen, and he's going to have a chance to break a big you know to break a big play. So I like these opportunities like this for these guys like Diggs that you're talking about, Ian. It doesn't really matter who shadows them. You know they're always going to have a chance to win, and I think you know Diggs fits squarely you know into that you know into that realm this weekend. So I've got Diggs at wide receiver number six, despite the fact that the Patriots only give up 29.4 points to opposing wide receivers. I still feel good about Diggs. I've got him ahead of Jamar Chase, Terry McLaurin, just above Adam Thielen, and ahead of Deontay Johnson. Love all those guys, but I've got Diggs ahead of those, despite the fact that they have better matchups. And for the love of God, people, if I hear one person recommend fading digs because the Patriots take away your best weapon, go look at the last time they played and how the Patriots, you know, took away digs to the tune of nine catches, 145 yards, and three touchdowns. And I think that's where it's important to understand, like, how the Patriots play defense. Like, these man coverage defenses are... Diggs is a major problem for them. (laughs) And he's been a problem for all of them, not just one of them. So I think that's the other thing, like the nuance that you have to dig into. Um, It's a lot easier for defenses. You know, I don't want to say it's easier, but whenever you're running these cover six, cover four, all these things like the Chargers are, providing help coverage and doing things like that, you know, it's a little easier to do just by the nature of the way you're running your defense. You know, for, you know, Bill Belichick to want to do that in the scheme that he has, it's easier for him to do that against tight ends and other different players but like he has to really go away from what he's normally doing if he wants to give all of this attention to Stefan Diggs it could take away from the way he wants his run fits to work all this other stuff that look we won't get way deep into that but I like Stefan Diggs this weekend I like Stefan Diggs every weekend as we should yeah. um, as far as you, you kind of heard my stats on you know the man coverage so it's a little more problematic for these other guys going into the weekend but I've got Cole Beasley at 38 Emmanuel 
Sanders I've got right now at 45. And he could pop back up at any point. You know, just right now we're kind of on a tough run for Sanders as far as, yeah, it's been a bit thin, you know, for Emmanuel Sanders over over the last several games. His, it kind of sounds like a DK Metcalf stat line, 60, 62, 48, 33, 110. Those are his finishes over the, and that's going backwards, you know, so his most recent one was a 60. So he has not come through for us in some time, but we know it's in an offense, loves to throw the ball plenty. He could burst back on the scene at any point. But for right now, I just want to kind of steer clear of it. Diggs is the main receiver I want to use. Cole Beasley would be second. Third, uh, or actually second would be Dawson Knox. Third would be Cole Beasley. So I think Knox, you know, is just this guy that's really tough because teams are so used to having to pay attention to all these receivers. And now all of a sudden he's kind of blossoming into this, into this good player. His targets per route aren't great. But he's out there like 90 to 95 percent of the time the team dropbacks to pass so even if you're not like at the 20 percent mark even if you're around like 17 16 you can still you can still be really good especially in an offense like the one that the bills run where we know they can explode for these big points regardless of who they are facing off against so dawson knox right now i'm gonna have him borderline he's gonna be a low-end tight end one this week so I'll have him ahead of noah fant but i'll have him just behind names like pat fryermuth um probably uh, Zach Ertz, I haven't decided. Am I putting him over or under Zach Ertz, Ian? Uh, right now, I've got him one spot under. What are we doing with the running backs? They can't be in the top 30. I was just not going to talk about them. But <laughs> Devin Singletary, I have at 34. Matt Breida, I have okay. at 37. Look, Breida's done more with his opportunities, um, but he's still just really complimentary. Like, he's getting 30% you know, of the work. And so at some point, that's going to catch up with him unless they expand his role, which, you know, to be fair, like if anybody has given them a reason this season to give them more looks out of their backfield, it's Breida because Singletary nor Moss have done anything. Um, so Breida, I prefer to keep him, you know, on my bench. I don't mind rostering him just because I'd hope he get more work, but I don't know that he's built for pass pro or these other things. I don't know how much his role truly can expand. But Devin Singletary, you know, quietly last week, and, and, you know, maybe that's just the word. It's just, you know, quietly. That seems to be anytime you talk about the backs for Buffalo, like we should preface it with quietly because you know they're not going to do very much because <laughs> it's really a three- to four-way split once you add Josh Allen in. But Singletary, 68% of the snaps, 54% of the rushing attempts, 66% of the routes. Um, all these things that we sometimes get excited about, and then it's like, but the fantasy production never follows. But theoretically, like it should be there, Ian. Like it could happen. Are we going to count on it now? It's just so tough, too, because I mean, he has the percentages on a normal backfield would produce like a usable fantasy running back. Bills running backs this year, though, 31st in carries, 26th in rush attempts inside the five, just 19th in targets. That is the Josh Allen experience. Good for pretty much everyone except for his running backs. That's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Real quick, I want to thank everyone that has reached out about doing some of the listener surveys. I'm about to reach out to another uh, big group of you that have DM'd me, and thank you again. Just wanted to see how many of these we're planning on doing, and the answer is quite a few. So I've already accomplished a few of that, but basically we are just looking for a super short interview. It'll take less than 10 minutes to get some of your feedback about the podcast. If you're a fan, again, we just want to know how to improve. If you're not a fan, you know, maybe be nice. 
nice, but we also want to know how to improve. And if you just, again, can take maybe 10 short minutes, we would love to hear from you. You can DM me on Twitter at iHeartTitz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. No, I don't necessarily heart tits, but that's just how my name is spelled. And the Twitter handle is accordingly with that. So shoot me a DM. Uh, I'll reach out and we'll get that set up. Thank you again for everyone who has reached out already. And I also want to point out that you can still get 40% off any PFF subscription if you use code Cyber40. We have grades and data live for every single player who logged the snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from week 12. And we offer so much more. All of our locked article content, the utilization report, the mismatch manifesto. Well, that's actually free because I'm a nice guy. But plenty of other stuff is out there that you can all get with that PFS. So weekly player ranking, strength of schedule tool, betting dashboards, player props, all that and much more. Again, that's promo code Cyber40. Support the pod. Go get yourself a subscription. Cyber40, 40% off. Also want to give a shout out to our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is free fantasy football league manager. League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is playing our leagues on fan tracks this season. You can set up your leagues exactly the way you want. Want to get rid of kickers and defense? You can want to add more flex spots? You can do that and also complete multi-team trades or even be able to trade fab or future year picks. Fan tracks can do it all for free. And for you fantasy hockey and fantasy basketball fans, fantasy baseball even, seasons are fast approaching, so be sure to create a new league or bring over those existing leagues to fan tracks. They're giving away signed jerseys to a few lucky fans so sign up now at fantrax.com slash pff again that's fantrax.com slash pff to be eligible for some of those signed jerseys also DraftKings football fans i'm sure we all love an action-packed high-scoring nfl game but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl you'll be a winner once a single point is scored new customers who bet just one dollar on any team to score can win 100 in free bets it's that simple Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score a promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers. Only minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager. One per customer. Restrictions supply. See DraftKings.com. Set sports for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And also, whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFS' very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. You can hear about Chris's old playing days, behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football. Maybe a need to know for your, for your financial future. You can submit all those questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris and find the answers on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check Check out the link in the description below. Remember, Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Thought I killed those ad reads, Drain. You know, pat myself on the back right there. Great day to be greedy, as always. And uh, we're wrapped up here, man. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. I don't think I can talk anymore. But <laughs> looking forward to the feedback on the pod and seeing what we can do even better next year. Appreciate that. As always, always looking to improve. And as always, we thank you for listening. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you again. Until next time, take care, everybody.